Hello. How are you enjoying the new version of Skype? Oh, I don't know if I have a new, new, new one. It made me sign in again. It was so new. Oh, that's new. Mm-hmm. Let me see what I got. I got uh, this window. 8.46.0.60. The version numbers have too many numbers. That's a lot of numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm. Do we, have we talked about Zoom? Zoom seems popular. My wife uses that at work. Have we talked about this? Jason makes me use it mm. sometimes. This is boring. Um, how are you? I'm doing great. Mm. <laughs> I'm excited to hear about all the uh, the new events in your life. Hmm. The new events in my life. Mm-hmm. There are two of them. Oh. In particular. Okay. I. Uh, why don't you? Well, you drive. Uh, I'll go anywhere you want. You're gonna drive. That's what's I'm gonna. gonna I'm gonna drive. I'm putting you in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. Issue one. Monkey Ish- beards. Monkey. No, that's that's a Dilbert thing. Sorry. <laughs> back back before Dilbert was problematic, that was a very funny comic strip. Oh, I love Dilbert. Yeah, yeah, he's, he spoke for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, you. you <laughs> I made, see your cursor. You made some ziti. I made ziti. This is a hit meal that I make. I make authentic Italiano. A big big the ziti's. Tell me about a, it. A big the ziti's. I, insofar as you can say, and as much as you are comfortable, I, can't, I don't know the phrasing. Insert Merlin catchphrase here. Yes. Tell me about the Z. My family likes uh, things with meat. My family likes things with cheese. Mm-hmm. Lasagna is a little bit of a hassle. Mm-hmm. And I found an authentic Italian recipe for baked ziti. And uh, I even discovered, I even sourced the actual ziti. You know, I'm always texting you. And I was texting you about how I find it's difficult to find uh, ziti as much these days. You get, and you're looking, are you looking, I forgot, and from our text conversation, are you looking in physical stores? No. Like a, like a Neanderthal, or, or are you looking uh, why why just Why don't I just bring, a, bring some uh, fire into Zorg's cave and right, just right, wander right. around? Yeah, why don't you just fashion a wagon wheel for it? <laughs> uh, no, it's just, there are some places that have, but the place that I like to get my groceries does not have the, the classic uh, ziti. And, uh, and I think <laughs> I had asked you if I make big ziti and substitute penne, you know, am I good? And I think no, you said something like... Absolutely not. Because it's yeah. not ziti anymore. I, 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 Mastacholi is the obvious uh, should, we, uh, should we carve out a lot of time for this one? Because I got a feeling this one might take a while. No, there's, I just... There's, I no, mean, there's a lot I, of levels. There's a lot of levels. Talk about problematic. I'm no Dilbert. But I, I got a feeling... Uh, I, I can share the actual recipe with you, but you know, it's uh it's uh it's from allrecipes.com. And mm, I want to just Well, it's, it says right there. I mean that's right up there with all music. It's all recipes. For your for your hookless ziti. Um I don't know if it's just <laughs> I don't I don't know. It making me laugh. I don't know if it's because of uh I, I unintentionally have some kind of blocker that keeps out anecdotes uh atop the recipes in on this particular site, but it goes straight to the recipe. Imagine that. There's no anecdotes. Um, baked ziti. It's technically baked ziti one, Roman numeral one. Hmm. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, shall I send it to you or shall I? Uh, yeah, please oh. do. Okay. So my opening statement, my only opening statement on this is to say I have made this Italian, authentic Italian baked ziti recipe twice. And it was a hit. And when I made it today, it was a giant hit because I've, I've made some adjustments to the recipe and uh, it is outstanding. 
and a huge, my daughter had two bowls of my big ZD one tonight. What do you think? Pretty cool. Pretty good, huh? Mm, I'm not liking this recipe. Really? Don't like the sour not cream? Liking it. Not liking it at all. Uh, so for, for our listeners sake, now I, I, there is one thing in here that I, I very definitely changed. You take a pound of, pound of ziti, an onion, uh, ground beef, uh, two jars of <laughs> spaghetti sauce, <laughs> six mm-hmm. ounces of provolone, uh, sliced. Uh, what, what are they have you doing with that? They haven't you put that on top? What are, they, what are you doing with that provolone? <laughs> you gotta read the instructions. You're wearing it as a hat? What are you doing? <laughs> you gotta read the instructions. They're very. I know. I'm just, I'm just cutting to the. It's, to the uh, you do it, you do it like in layers. You do it, you do it in layers. Now, here's the one that even I thought was a little problematic. Which is Very. one and one half cups of sour cream. Nope, sorry, no. For that, I used. Uh, I don't know if you've ever used this. It's that. Uh, it's that cheese you put in lasagna. It's. Uh, I know this. Wait, hang on. What's it called? That cheese. Uh. Uh. No, wait. Hang on. Don't tell me. I know this. I just bought it. And I just used it. It's not mascarpone. It's uh uh ricotta, ricotta, ricotta. So I subbed out the same amount of ricotta cheese. It's a lot of ricotta. Good on you, because if you put sour cream in this thing, yeah. lightning may strike you. I would have to go like directly to like a like yes. a prison. You would, go, you would go to Italian hell, the same place your jarred sauce comes from. Six ounces of mozzarella cheese shredded, uh, two tablespoons of grated Parmesan. Now, here are two my... Two tablespoons. Well, oh well yeah. here are all of my adaptations. I'm sorry, I, I did that kind of quickly. I like the simplicity of this recipe. It is very authentic. So, one thing I did is I more than doubled the amount of ground beef. <laughs> all right. I also hugely increased, well, not hugely increased, but I'm going to get to this in a minute because I didn't account for physics in this. I, I did increase the amount of mozzarella cheese, so it's like probably 10 ounces instead of six ounces, almost double the amount. And I put a butt ton more uh, Parmesan on top. And so what you do is you, you, you do your ziti and you get the water like salt water. You do your ziti, you brown the onions and the ground beef, et cetera. And then here's, here's the, the instructions. Uh, you have a butter dish. You layer half of the ziti, you know, uh, the finished ziti. Then you put your provolone slices. I used about six or eight slices of provolone cheese. On top of that, you put, they say sour cream. I used a lot of ricotta, uh, which is very hard to spread when it's cold. Half of the sauce mixture. Then you put on the remaining ziti, the mozzarella cheese, and the remaining sauce on top. And then you top that with grated Parmesan. And I baked it for 35 minutes instead of 30. And I think I could have even used a little bit more. But I mean, pretty much everything's cooked. It just needs to melt. Uh, but like I, I had not accounted for... Well, I doubled the amount of meat. Let's put it that way. So it was it was basically like a, a what? A ziti <laughs> like cake. A, like a hamburger with noodles poking out of it. <laughs> kind of. It was like a ziti cake. It had like kind of a rounded top, mm-hmm. like an Indian barrel mound. Is this a dish with which you are familiar from eating it in your childhood? The old recipe or your, version? your adulthood? Just the, at all. Like was this, was this dish in your culinary vocabulary as a, as a person, as an eater before you were... Uh, an adult um as an, well not as okay so as I, i'm familiar with it as an eater but not as a maker of it i think i mentioned before that i um uh, my, my duplex mate in tallahassee who also owned uh one of my two bars that i went to uh cat poop pillow guy no no that was tony that was tony his cat was named chuck and he used to poop on my pillow no no this is a duplex mate not a, not a flat mate okay oh uh-huh. sorry sorry <laughs> um but he um he was very very italian and uh and he had his grandmother's recipes he used to make a really good uh what's it called eggplant uh, they called it a capri sandwich it was like a fried eggplant sandwich that was amazing and he introduced me to big ziti he would make a bunch of big ziti and then give us some it was really really good i didn't know how to make it but i mean i've made lasagna 
Um, but like big ziti is pretty easy to make. But no, I never made it before I found this wonderful authentic recipe on allrecipes.com. So when you're making it, are you trying to reproduce your old uh, roommate's recipe? Are you trying to reproduce something you've had in the past? Or are you just trying to make something like your own invention that you will like now? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I'm not, I don't, I, I, if I'm recre- recreating anything, it's just remembering that like, wow, this is right in my wheelhouse for the kind of meal that, my, that, uh, that I like and that my family likes. So no, I wasn't trying to reproduce a specific flavor. Also, my palate is not surpassingly sophisticated, believe it or not. I Unlike my it. ability to hear and pronounce words, my, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My, my my gustatory sensibilities are pretty caveman. It's all that rock and roll, does that, do you? What's that? Um, so, um, now, now, what about, now, you can continue to interrogate me, or you can tell me how you make baked ziti. I'm looking at this picture, too. The, like, the recipe tells you to put ziti in, but the picture doesn't show ziti, which is, I mean, whatever. It's oh, no. Is, oh, wait a minute. <gasps> Don't tell me. Don't tell me. It's not penne. It's like the. It's like if penne and ziti had a baby. It's hard to tell. It, it, it could be ziti, no, ziti regatti or whatever, but it could be penne too, because I can't tell because the ends are all shredded because the, the ziti is over, the, the pasta is overcooked. <laughs> well, they said eight minutes, and I think I could have done with less, probably. Yeah, you can definitely do with less. So, well, well, but yeah, I also do, I just so you know, I, I did follow some of Professor Syracuse's advice. I did, um, in addition to making the water like salt, which I always do now because of you, I also immediately you said that wrong. Hmm? I thought you said it wrong unintentionally the first time, and now you did it the second time. Now you, you have make, me second guessing. You make the water like salt water. You salt mm, the water. Yeah, all right. Anyway, go on. Mm. And then uh, I also uh, doused the, uh, uh, the, the ziti once it was in the colander. I doused it with cold water to... Um, what? Slow. What are you doing? I don't want that's, to keep cooking. Why? Why? That's not for me. You didn't get uh, that for me. That's sure, your that own. Sounds, that sounds like something you'd say. No. You're always talking about how food keeps cooking. Yeah, but no. All right. Anyway, mm. uh, my only advice to you for uh, ways that you could possibly simplify your life. I mean, other than obviously not using the jarred sauce, but whatever. You're going to do what you're going to do. It's Classico. Uh, it says right there. It's Classico. I think that's Italian. Bad, it's bad stuff. Anyway, um, it... Th- the baked ziti uh, meal that I'm familiar with doesn't require any kind of layering like you were doing. Like you can basically just take once the, once the pasta is, is cooked, slightly undercooked, you can take your sauce and your meat uh, and a little bit of cheese, uh, you know, and and just mix it all up into just a, basically a slurry. Put the slurry in the baking dish, top with mozzarella cheese, mm-hmm. bake until the cheese is crispy and brown, mm-hmm. like. Like that, it's, you don't have to do like layers, and I, and I would I would ditch the provolone. And also, if you want to try something uh, instead of doing ground beef, just take like sausage and squeeze it out of the casing and, mm-hmm, and crumble mm-hmm. it up. It's a little bit different angle, but, but otherwise, yeah, it's a good it's a good crowd pleasing family meal. Uh, pretty easy to make a lot of. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people like it, so there you go. And I, I would leave out the onions too. Oh, really? Interesting. I, I don't yeah. use a whole onion because uh, that that seems like kind of a lot. The other one is I kind of feel like. To make it a little bit more lasagna-like, at least in my head, I, I wonder, the Parmesan's cute, but it doesn't really add that much in the same way that mozzarella does. I'd like Sometimes it to be a little bit crispy. two tablespoons, it's like, why even bother? Like, mm-hmm. in a giant thing of, of baked ziti, those two tablespoons are disappearing. And the penultimate layer is sauce that's hot. So it's kind of melting into the sauce. Well, well that's anyway. what I'm saying. Like, layer, forget about layers. It's just mm-hmm. a homogenous uh, aggregation, like concrete. Okay. With right. top to a top with the mozzarella, which then has to get crispy and have the little hard parts that stick to the sides of the thing. I agree with you, though. It is crowd pleasing, and it's. Um, I mean, I can't, it's so silly when people say things like, "Oh, kids like it." Well, you know, it has a thing kids like. It's like starch, cheese, and and hamburger meat. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, I can do a lot with hamburger. I um, yeah, I'm kind of a master of uh, doing things with ground beef. Anyway, and yeah, so it's it's a big issue. Wants it for lunch tomorrow too. So you know, thumbs up. Yeah, and don't don't uh, run the pasta under cold water. Like don't cook run, it, don't do un- that. undercook it slightly, but mm. while it's still warm, you know, mm, but okay. like, it'll. Yeah, and you you can tell you've done a good job when the little bits of ziti that are poking out through the uh, through the cheese and everything that are on the top end up getting a little bit hard and crispy. Yes. Like okay, that's the you know. All right, all right. If you um, I mean, I I don't want to be that particular guy, but if you have, I I, I can't make my own sauce. That's insane. So you're saying to, to make a John Syracuse, you can absolutely make your own. No, sauce. it's a whole thing. I should add this to your homework list. It is so easy no, to do. You're going to kick yourself for not doing it. For that, I don't have room for that. You don't need to make like a hundred gallons like I do. You can make a tiny amount of it, and it's perfectly fine. And it's so easy to do. and use canned tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. My lady's made it, and and it's real good. See, she she's she makes real food. You know, but she works. She works for a living, so I mm-hmm. tend to be the cooker of things. And um, uh, but she she enjoys this. It's a it's it's a nice meal. Anyway, there's that. Uh, that's uh, boy. Look at this meatloaf. Easy meatloaf recipe. It's got five five k likes. Look at that. Yeah, these yeah. are very simple well, recipes. <laughs> I love the ratings on these re- ratings on recipes. Is it's not quite the same as ratings on music, but it's similar in that like. Mm-hmm. Like on a, the more popular the website is, the more the ratings are going to track with like exactly the fat part of the bell curve. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not, I'm sure what would be right up the middle, but it would be like, I guess bacon <laughs> it would be yeah. the only five star rated item. And then you'd be like hamburgers would be like four and a half. This is four and a half because it's right, right in that. Yeah. But it, this is a recipe with sour cream in it. So like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe I, it's just, just everything with all, all recipes, all music. It's all. Oh, you're right. They didn't like that long winner's record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, we've talked about ratings and reviews. I think many, many times now. But mm-hmm. uh, it's well, you know what? Never mind. There's we're probably going to already end up rehashing things this episode. But you know, it's just frustrating. It's it's so so hard. To, if I had to kind of bring it all down to like this one thing that I have talked about before, it's just frustrating that there aren't more facets to like you know what it is about it you liked or didn't like. <laughs> click on the click on the star rating (laughs) click what do you see and just click and like a pop-up comes after you click on the stars most helpful positive review and most helpful critical review right but don't i don't touch anything just what do you what words do you see like before you touch anything other than just clicking the stars uh reviews 5k rate and review yeah click those stars click those stars for rate and review we gotta log in no, no, just the stars themselves. No, no, sorry. Click the sorry. Click the five K reviews. Click okay. those words. Oh, okay, reviews five K. I think I'm down at reviews five K. I see rate and review. Most helpful. Most helpful critical ratings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I am. I think I'm at the reviews. All right. I guess I'm seeing something different than you, but apparently this this website has got my number somehow. Oh, where this it says what... most helpful critical review. Use ricotta cheese. Yes. Yes. Two stars. And the skip the top, provolone. <gasps> all caps. All caps. Ricotta cheese. And then mix an egg in. Well, oh, that sounds good. No, wait. I didn't keep reading. What are they saying? Mix an egg in? Mix an oh, egg God, into just... a pound of ricotta to make it nice and cream. Nice yeah, and creamy. No, I, I'm like familiar nice with that creamy? technique. Yeah, I'm familiar with that technique. I'm not sure it's warranted with baked but maybe. Anyway, I'm closing this window now. Hmm. I like that there was it's four and a half stars with five K reviews and I click the rating and it immediately has someone yelling at them for the, the stupidity in, in this recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but well, at least it didn't have a story. I was admonished today. I did a I guessed it on a podcast today and I was slightly admonished for, for uh making that complaint. 
about the stories about the recipes people like the stories yeah yeah because the, uh, i mean this person was i think you know someone understandably saying well you know uh i can't quote the person but they were saying something like you know this is that's a way that people express themselves and stories and you know it kind of feels a little bit along the lines of what podcast was this i know i heard you were in, in uh high demand today you were you were a free podcast agent everyone wanted a piece of merlin where I did was, you end up going i was not in high demand uh, I uh, uh, I was a uh, like a fourth emergency fallback for one show, and then I got booked on another show. No, what happened was uh, as we record this, uh, it is Tuesday, June eighteenth. We were back on ordinary time. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. We're back on ordinary time. Hello, and um, my uh, my usual Tuesday uh, podcast had to be rescheduled, and I I'm like a cow that needs to be milked, and so so I went into the uh, the Slack channel for nice. relay. That's a nice way of putting it. Thank you. They liked it. Um, and so, uh, the two ladies on the podcast, I was with, loved it. And I said, Hey, anybody, anybody want to use me? Can you use me for anything? Cause you know, sometimes you need to fill in for clockwise that happens like, you know, like, okay, often and I, I realized mm-hmm. it sounded needy because it's needy, but I was like, Hey, does anybody need a, need a guest, you know, for anything? I've thought about doing that. I gotta be honest with you. Like totally like just apropos of nothing. I've thought about doing that. I've thought it would be fun to jump on Twitter and just say, Hey, Anybody want to record a podcast in one hour? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> this is like, this reminds me of when Alex went on Twitter and asked, what did she ask? It was like, oh, uh, which, which time? Oh my I, God. What was she it asked, she like, did? Anyone have any advice for something or does, does anyone think there's anything wrong with me? I forget what it was. Oh, but I it know. Was, I know. It's a terrible idea. And so is going on public Twitter and just saying, hey, anyone want me on a podcast? Well, you should, I mean, you should go on one of those shows. <laughs> there's always uh, taking CEO guests. <laughs> I would kill it at that. Oh, you know, you know, if I got into character, I could do that so well. Um, anyhow, um, and then as soon as I, as soon as I'd written it, of course, I felt like an idiot and I was like, oh God, that was a silly thing to say. It's so, it's so needy, but you never know. So maybe somebody could but, use but the help. You, but you, but you were needy. It was the truth. Well, I am needy. I'm like That's a cow. That's right. So, yeah. and people need you. Milk the cow, milk the cow. And yeah. so, uh, one of the, uh, one of our fellow programs, uh, had me on and we had a really nice visit. So, oh, you know what? I should, I should, I, uh, oh God, here we go. <sighs> okay. So this will come out on, I wrote it in the document, didn't I? This will come out around, uh, June 27th. Anyway, there's a show on Relay called Make Do. And hey, to, that's going to be great. I listened to that show. Um, yeah. So you, uh, what I'll do is I'll put a link to the, to the, uh, top page for that in notes. I think it's going to be like three weeks. It'll come out because they're fortnightly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I visited with, uh, with Julia and, uh, Tiff and we talked about, you know, um, making and doing us air and, I'm uh, looking forward to that episode. Well, don't get your hopes up. They're, they're, I, I've listened to that episode you just did by yourself. Wow. Yeah, really? Okay. We'll put a pin in that. I listened to a show I already listened to with the episode with you. That'll okay. Hang good. on. Put a fork in that. Cause I want to hear what you think of that. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, da, 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 da. so, uh, yeah, that Julia, man, she's a pistol. She's a pistol. She yeah. Did you know she's a she's, I, I didn't know she did was she such a Did she set you straight? Oh, I mean, there were some things that we differed on and she but but, but you know, you she she, she should have brought a pawn. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I don't know what you're saying. Pawn, ponyo. No, no. Um no, I mean like um I uh no, she seems very encouraging. You know what would be funny if her and Kathy Campbell did a show together. Hmm. Cuz they both have it seems they have that role. Of of the person that they Give, are on that, that show, the hard advice that you need to hear, or like insisting, yeah, just insisting that things are a certain way for your own benefit. Like mm-hmm. Kathy does that to some extent. I feel like with Alex, and I guess I guess Julia does that with uh, with Tiff. But it was really it was nice to, to visit with them, and um, 
what do we talk about? We talked about something they talked about on their most recent episode. Uh, you know, the how daunting it can be to, and it does relate to D&D miniatures a little bit, but just that whole problem of like, let alone ever deciding to call yourself an artist, that whole problem of like, you know, what is this thing that I make and what is my title for what I do, right? Is this a doodle or is it, is it a drawing or is it a thing? Am I, and I, I talked about the journey of being a person who's a writer who had trouble getting people to be willing to call them a writer because oh, you're not, an, are you an author? No, I'm not an author. Like, oh, okay, while well, you're a journalist? No, I'm not really a journalist, but I write a whole bunch of different things. And just that struggle of like, you know, the really status valence of so many of the titles. And I think the natural resistance that we have to avoid those kinds of things because we don't want to sound, um, what's the phrase Julia used, the European phrase, tall poppy syndrome? Like, you don't want to seem mm-hmm. like you're trying to like punch above your weight or like be above your station. And like we we under we undercut ourselves in, in what we do just so we hope we don't look like we think we're highfalutin as flannery o'connor would say what is the the english one is like the 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 tall nail gets hammered down and the the european one is the poppy gets cut or something yeah tall poppy i I love that one tall poppy syndrome is i think it's what it's called is to well i said to julie anyway that's it's it strikes me as very english so the idea is that you don't want to be the tall poppy because that's the one that gets its head cut off yeah and like at least in my experience and anecdotes with the incredibly subtle cues about status in England. You know, you're very mm-hmm. civil to everybody. Well, you, you went through this, but people are, are generally very civil, if a little cool with each other in public generally. But like, I think there's a lot of, you're going to get a lot of <laughs> over civility if it looks like you're trying to be like sort of above your station. Most well, certainly true in the, in the Midwest, back in Ohio, man. Like you certainly didn't want to be the person who the phrase we would use is along the lines of, like, you know, you think you're better than me. You think you're better than us. Oh, you mm-hmm. did that thing. You think you're better than us. Oh, mm-hmm. so like you can draw. Does that make you think that makes you special? Mm-hmm. You know. So anyway, we talked about that and uh, lots of other stuff, and I, I hope it turned out okay. Um, I really enjoyed uh, visiting with them. I'm such a fan of Tiff. I enjoy her so much, and actually, I. I, I I can probably say this. I, I, you know, I texted Marco today and I was like, it's, it's so fun to try and keep up with Tiff. I love somebody who sharpens me like a knife and she's so fast and it's just, it's just fun. To, she's a fun hang. And much to Julia's chagrin, we worked in a lot of references to The Office, which I think she found a little frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's got a hold of the podcast. About They're that. standing in their graves when they get married. <laughs> I think I see what they're trying to do, but why are the graves so shallow? Anyway, yeah, so that was fun. So it worked out all right. And I said, thank you very much. Thank you for, for having me on, on your show. And I had something to do today. It was really good. Yeah, yeah, That's things good. are going pretty good. So podcasts. You don't think I should do that, though? You don't think I should get on Twitter and say, okay, it, it, who wants me? No, because mm-hmm. you don't want the answers. I mean, I suppose you don't the have answers, to take no. the answers. Yeah. You, can say, you can say who wants me and then just ignore everybody who answers, but then what's the point of even doing it? I mean, I guess if you just want to feel wanted, then that can work, but it, it, people might notice that you ask who wants me and then you never well, did, went on any of the people's shows. I will risk uh, something deeply self-involved and uh, I will be a tall poppy for a minute and say there are people who like what I do. There are people who like what you do. There are people who like what we do and they probably like the opportunity to visit for a little while. That's that's my. Oh, main, I see, which is I see how this is going. So no, it's there not, is. You're right. Yeah. You're you are correct. And it's not uh, a totally suicidal pro- thing, like like what Alex is doing, where you're basically just asking people to like. Right. Right. <laughs> so so what? But here's what you're doing. Yeah. What you know, like 
three or four people who you want to answer, but you have to ask the question to everybody. So it doesn't look like you're just sending a targeted thing to the three or four people you want to answer. Then you're just crossing your finger that the three or four people you want to answer, one of them actually answered. Whereas like when like, and this is not a joke or a bit, but like when you were, and I, I have to say, honestly, I think the way you handled um, <clears throat> giving out those codes for the ATP shirts, I made fun of you last time, but it, that's a fun, that's a fun way to do that. It, it does, you know, promote the shirts. People get to have uh, play a little game. And, and that's really fun and that's cool. But it isn't like you have to go to lunch with somebody when they use the code. You know what I mean? No, you're not, you're not committed yeah. to doing like, like a thing there. It's very transactional, but it's also entertainment for a larger audience. Only one person gets the prize, but everyone else gets to enjoy the game as, either as an observer or as a participant. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I have so many ideas for podcasts that I'd like to do or think I would like to do someday, but they almost all fall down at the point of like, like an extraordinary amount of work to get. Yeah, there's only a certain number of hours in the day. Anything I want to do. I mean, some of my most, to me, most interesting and ambitious ideas uh, require guests necessarily. Like two, oh, there's, yeah. there's two, 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 that come, two that come to night. mind. There's an idea I gave to Lane Becker a long time ago and he never took the idea. I've tried to give it to a million other people because it would have been so perfect for Lane uh, and I thought, you know, if he doesn't use it, this is in 2004, but I, I would also, um, could use it for me. And, uh, the idea I said, I said, Lane, you should do a podcast and it should be called, did you have a question for Lane? And you should be every week. It's a podcast where you're, you're always the guest and you have a different person host each time and ask you questions. Wouldn't that be fun for certain people? That would be so fun. Yeah, I see the angle. I don't know this Lane person, so presumably it's a good fit for their personality. I'm not sure it would be a good fit for yours. No. Because you're not that full of yourself. Yeah, and I don't, yeah, no, I'm, I'm difficult. The other one, the, there's no way I would ever do this, but it was called, I think there's other people have done this, shows with this title, but it's going to be called Pilot Season. And it was <laughs> basically, every episode of the show was going to basically be the equivalent of a pilot for, for some kind of a show. It would be the first mm. episode of a podcast every week. Yep. That's a terrible idea. I thought you were going to say it was going to be like you'd be pitching TV pilots. That's fun too. That that's something like a Glenn Fleischman could do. Yeah, it's one of the one of my favorite sessions when I used to back when I used to go to the PAX, the gaming mm-hmm. expo. Yeah. Uh, they had a session. They probably still have it called Pitch Your Game Idea, and it'd be a panel of people who are involved in the industry in some way, whether they work for a game publisher or just involved in games or whatever. And then the audience of the thing just lines up with microphones and they have to pitch their game idea. And it's kind of like Shark Tank where the experts judge it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Basically, everyone goes up and pitches their game idea briefly, very briefly. And they, you know, the first round is just you hear from many people. And, and most people, it's like, okay, we heard your idea, but whatever. But some people get picked to be like, okay, you get to go in the second round. And the second round is like five people and they get to give longer pitches. And then the panel decides who wins or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and the audience participates by cheering and booing and laughing at the bad ideas and it's, it's surprisingly fun because people do everyone who plays video games has an idea of like the game that they would like to make yes and part of the pitching your game idea is putting that idea in the harsh light of, of the public and speaking it out loud every one of those realize, people every one of those people somewhere at some point in their life has had an idea for a game probably and they're so they've yeah. played so many games that they can know the stink of i can already tell you why three reasons this isn't going to work Right. right. But the thing, the people who have the idea, very, very often I see this, they have the idea, they've had it their whole life, they pitch it and in the middle of the pitch, they realize what a bad idea for a game it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh my God. It's so valuable to say that out loud. I think that'd be super fun with adults. I feel pretty definitely I'm remembering this right, where Max, uh, on Dubai Friday, Max has talked about being a judge in similar kinds of things, pretty much exactly what you described, but like at schools. 
And like, oh, that's like the pitch the startup thing. And he talks about that. And he makes the kids cry by picking the, the worst project <laughs> because one of them was uh, a Republican or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Max. Yeah, that yeah. would be that would be brutal. That would be brutal. Grit. These but kids anyway, got to like, have pitch, grit. Pitching, you got to give them pilot, grit. Same type of thing. Like everyone has an idea for a TV show because we all watch TV, right? So give me your give me your pilot. Oh, yeah. This has uh, incomparable all over it. I'm sure there's been incomparable. I'm probably just spacing them. These all sound like things that Grit Glenn would have been involved in where I've heard an episode of it. Yeah, we might have already done the pilot pitch. We did do a make your own TV show thing way back in the day. Remember I that? I remember one? that. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I I I I love the drafts. I love the drafts, and I love I love the things with. Scarcity. Oh yeah, that was it. Didn't we, we like we drafted characters, then we had to make a show with them. I think that was that one. I think it was, and that that was one of the many wonderful episodes. Like you know, you, know, you want to have an agent of chaos and that kind of stuff. I feel like yeah, I yeah. I think that. that was the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the Skeletor episode. It was. It was Let's yeah, roll the tape. So, because Steve drafted Skeletor. I wish. I wish Steve was on more. I don't know. I, like, he seems busy he, with he baseball. He plays D and D a lot. Um, a that's lot of his time. true, and he does the game show things. But I, I, I feel so lucky that when when we do those Miyazaki ones that I'm on, and it's a good, such a good group. And I really, I like Steve. Anyway, I would never tell him that personally. But um, yeah, I like podcasts. I like podcasts a lot. I really do. Yeah, that's good. All right, so that's my ZD. Um, allrecipes.com. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Friends, make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you create a beautiful website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, a blog, whatever it is that you want to do, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades are ever needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got you covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of their award-winning templates are beautifully designed to show off your great ideas. I am a long, 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 long time fan of Squarespace. I, I use them all the time. They, uh, they host and uh, serve my, my personal sites, a podcast that I do. It's all there. And listen, this is the periodic reminder to you because I know it's a show with John Syracuse and y'all are a bunch of nerds and flying monkeys. But listen, not everybody knows Pearl the way you know Pearl. Not everybody is as close to the metal as you are. So listen, pop the stack. Uh, they can use that one for free. Pop the stack. Tell the people you know around you, people you meet, people in your family. Tell them about Squarespace because you do not want to be in the webmaster business. And my God, neither do they. Now, here's the thing. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial right now with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Mm-hmm. And when you decide to sign up, use the very special offer code diffs to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and it will show your support for reconcilable differences. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash diffs. Offer code diffs for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Event number two. Dun, 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 dun. There you go. Now, okay, now did I get the pitch? Tambra. I mean, that's kind tempo. of tempo. A single. That's a that's a single note thing, right? So, like, that's if not, that was annotated, it would be one of those, like, a note with an X on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you got the the rhythm right. Mm-hmm. You saw Hamilton. How does Finally. a bastard orphan? So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
we saw Hamilton. Do you, do you really want to talk about this? I'll be quick about it. I, I mean, I'm excited for you. I feel like you finally earned the second act or the third act or however many acts there are. You've earned them all. You went to see it after living it for what? five years now? I don't even know how long. At least three. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I, I can quickly dispense with the the not that interesting part, which is, oh my God, we got to see Hamilton. And I, But I, I would love to talk, I haven't had an opportunity or interest from anybody in talking about this. I, I would like to talk about the complexities. I didn't know you were going to ask this, but uh, I would like to talk about the complexities of uh, being somebody who's lived in this music for a long time and then finally getting to see it live has been really interesting. So first of all, uh, so my daughter finished uh, her elementary school career two weeks ago, Tuesday, and mom got a surprise, graduation gift, commencement gift, promotion gift, which was, hey, she got tickets for Hamilton. It was really not cheap, Um, but uh, a matinee of Hamilton. We even got to get home at a decent hour, you know, and watch The Office. Um, But yeah, she got to stay, so it was was super fun. We uh, So we went downtown and uh, hung out and got a taco and then uh, went to see Hamilton, like a one o'clock show. And um, I don't know, it's... I, I remember as a little kid when they would take us to the symphony in Cincinnati and I, I, you know, the music, I mean, the, the selections for the music, it could have been anything. It might be Peter and the Wolf or it might be something often by Copeland. Um, and like, I don't know, the, the, the musical notes and stuff didn't matter that much. The sound of like being in a room, like just, just even being in the theater is so freaking much fun. She, um, her first, my daughter's first theater experience was awesome, which was they went to see a live production of uh, Aladdin. So they did like a traveling show of, uh, you know, stage show of the, mu- the Disney musical. Um, and apparently the guy who plays the genie was, was just a riot. And so she had been to a theater show once before. I have not been to a theater show in forever. I think the Flophouse maybe was the last time I saw something in a theater. But um, yeah, so we went. We had real good seats, and um, and what do you say? It was just it was the the moment like you, you I've seen I've got the I've got all the Hamilton materials. I may or may not have a Samastad version of the Broadway show. I I know what that stage looks like, and to to walk into the room and see that was like it was absolutely thrilling, and to sit there and it's exciting and you know we got a program and a shirt and stuff and you know all that kind of stuff it was really it was really exciting and then as soon as that dun 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 dun, dun starts like it's, it was i i was i was uh i was teary for a lot of the day just because of the fun and the the experience and then there were obviously as ever some songs that really wrecked me but so yeah no i mean like just high level general stuff it went great and it was it was so, so fun. And my daughter and I were like grabbing each other by the arm the whole time, trying not to be like super annoying to the people around us. But a lot of our internal household memes like <laughs> still find their way out. Like we had to turn to each other and you go, Alex got better, but his mother went quick. You know, like all the things we got to do all of that, like while it was playing right in front of us. And it was great. It was fantastic. Now, so do you have, do you have any remarks on that? Because no, you're, oh, your family, like, your fun. family's been, your family's been, you, your, your, your wife has been several times, your daughter's been at least once. My family is over Hamilton. Yes. They're over, oversubscribed. Yes. We've been, we've been, we've all been over Hamilton. I, I don't know if my son has seen it, but we, the family has collectively seen more than its fair share of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you've been. I even went once. Yes. Yes. And, and that, I mean, that gets, brings me to my main question, which is like, so I went, uh, you know, as we discussed in an earlier program, in cold. having never, having never listened to it. So I went in cold. And so I didn't have the thing that often happens uh, if you listen to the music for a show before you see it is that you 
especially if you're seeing it with a different cast, is you get used to whatever the yes. pre-recorded version is, and then you see different sounding people sing the song, perhaps even in a different way. And you're like, okay, well, there's this thing that I love, but the thing that I'm seeing live is different. And it might be not be worse or better or whatever, but it, bottom line is it's different people singing it. So did how was that experience for you? What did you think of the cast? It was a mixed bag. It was a mix. It was, it really was. I mean, they were great. They were, if I had never seen that show, I didn't know anything about it. And I walked into that theater cold. Um, especially like if I, if I didn't, if I didn't know the music, if I didn't know the story, if I didn't know the staging and the choreography, if I didn't know the sort of, um, what's the word, like genetic aspects of like wanting a, you know, um, diverse cast. I mean, I mean, I would have been completely bowled over just like, you know, I, I don't know how you can go into that and, and like absorb all of those words, you know, without feeling like you're going a little bit insane. I don't know if I could do like, you know, two hours and 45 minutes of that many words without feeling a little bit crazy. Um, but I was familiar with that, but no, it was, it was interesting. Um, having absorbed a lot of this material and, and seen and heard it in a lot of different ways. And, and really also, I mean, I've, I've absorbed a lot of the, especially the Broadway media around it. So, you know, I, I can highly, really highly recommend, I think I saw you, well, it doesn't matter where I saw this, but uh, I think some of our friends have seen this. Um, it's called, uh, I think it's called Hamilton's America, which is a really good show on PBS. Um, it's improbably not simply behind the scenes, but like ahead of the scenes. It's like shooting him while he's writing it. I don't know how this, that thing happened, but it's really very good. It involves a lot of the cast going out to visit, you know, I think like Mount Vernon and stuff. Why am I saying all this? Because, you know, I really got that cast on the brain. Like I've got my own expectations I don't know. In some ways, it's maybe not so different from like somebody going to a concert and saying like, I, I really want, you know, Stairway to Heaven to sound like it does on Led Zeppelin 4. And I, and I have such strong feelings about each of the people who play each of the characters in, um, in the Broadway show. But it was, uh, it was, in some ways, it was, it was really amazing. And some of the character or some of the actors, the dancers were all great. Um, and everybody singing was good, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be negative, but like the, the Alexander was very good, but like, you know, in some, in some weird ways, I, this is going to sound so stupid. In some ways I feel like, uh, I don't even know if I believe this, but the least consequential actor in the Broadway version in some ways is Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, he's good. You learn to love him. He's not a naturally great singer. He's not a naturally fantastic rapper. Whereas let's be candid. Somebody like David Diggs, somebody like um, Chris, uh, Chris Jackson, somebody like, my God, Leslie Odom Jr. And so that is, let's see if I can do this. Uh, that is respectively um, uh, Lafayette. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You know, that's a really high bar. And like if the person who portrays um, Angelica, like that's some really important singing in the show and everybody who did it was good. But I still found I, the, the word, the feeling I'm, I'm struggling with and the, the reason I'm trying not to sound like a jerk because it was really, really good. But I'm on the edge of my seat, like waiting for like, you know, it's, 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 it's in pitch. It's, it's, it sounds good, but like, it doesn't have that like, uh, like ethereal, like over the top feeling. Like, especially with somebody like the Angelica person who was good, but you know, that's a, that's a lot to ask. So, but now with that said, the guy who played, um, 
Lafayette and Jefferson, it was fantastic. He had like this crazy 90s fade. It might have been a wig. But he kind of, you know, he's already kind of dressed like Prince in the second act. And he had this, this hilarious fade. And um, he was very, very animated. The Hercules Mulligan guy, I actually in some ways liked even more as Madison. Where he he basically, he and, um, um, who's the other guy? He basically seemed like a sidekick from a, a, ch- a children's Disney movie. He was so entertaining, like sniffling and like, you know, being sick all the time and stuff like that. But it was, it was great, but it was also like, there were times where I felt a little bit like, you know, I, I, I think I've listened too much to the Broadway recording and it's made it difficult for me to, and I'm not, I, I'm not really a Broadway person. I'm not, there's like fewer than 20 Broadway shows that I know a ton of songs from probably. So I'm not like the kind of person, you know, really the deepest diving I've done on Les Mis is, or on, on Broadway has probably been Les Mis, would be on Broadway, but like you and me exchanging like, okay, here's my favorite version of this song by this person. Where like, I'm very, I'm very interested in who plays and who sings Eponine and like on this song, here's six versions of this song. And I like them all in different ways. I'm carrying on because I'm nervous talking because I really don't want to sound like I didn't have a good time because I had a fantastically good time. But it's also difficult because I really did imprint on that cast recording. It's difficult to see it another way. Yeah, I feel kind of lucky that uh, the the one and only time I saw it, I think everybody was really good. I think our our King George was better than the person on the the recorded version. Wow. Uh, he was fantastic. Uh, at first, I thought it might have been the same person because the performance was so similar, but it was like I felt it was even even more. I mean, it's obviously exaggerated anyway, but he was. I mean, you have to see them in person, but our, our King George was amazing. Our Angelica was amazing. Again, going in, I had no idea who the major characters were and what who was going to get what good song, like, because I didn't know anything, right? Mm-hmm. And I came out of it going, saying, well, whoever they had playing Angelica, she was really good. And then I heard the real recording. I'm like, she was really good. She was just as good as as this person. And again, I was like, was it the same person? It couldn't have been. Right. Because right. right? by that point, even the Broadway version had rotated out. Right. Yeah. And, and like, and this... I mean, obviously, the people the people playing in these things years later, when we're finally seeing it, have heard the the recorded version many mm-hmm. times, and in, in some respects are are imitating it. But the, the, they were able to pull it off. Our uh, my Hamilton, I had no idea what you know because again, I hadn't heard it. No idea what Lin Manuel sounded like as Hamilton. Uh, our Hamilton was a very different performance, but I didn't know the Lin Manuel Miranda one, so I had nothing to compare it to. So I thought it was it was good. Uh, the our Eliza had the side of her head shaved, which my wife found distracting. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know the hair thing. Or anyway, um, so yeah, everyone was good in our performance, and because it was the first one I heard, it was great. And then I slowly faded into the recorded version, and now they kind of blend together in my head, with the exception of uh, the Hamilton part, which is still very different. But I just saw that thing the one time, and now I've heard the recording like a million times. So now, now I'm slowly imprinting on the uh, the recorded. Do you enjoy it? Well. But yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think, like you said, it's not that's not even about like, oh, you have to match the recording. It's totally the experience. And I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that's why I like the King George better, because I saw him up there on stage making all the faces, wearing the outfit, looking ridiculous, doing all the things. And it's, you know, it's a different it's a different experience than just hearing the sound. Well, and OK, yes, I think you're right. I mean, th- I mean this... and even things like the, even things like the rewind and stuff. The first time I ever oh, saw that was them physically doing it. Oh, my I God. I had no idea that that part of the song existed. And then they started doing John, it. John, there's there's literally two turntables on the stage. Yeah. And a microphone. Yeah. And then no, they but had, I'm being uh, serious. They, they... I, I've been listening for over a year before it occurred to me. There's literally two turntables on the stage. Yeah. And they do the thing with the bullet at the end with the same thing. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, 
um, I mean, this stuff is even even with the, I mean, for whatever, for a, for two generations, like probably at least since um, I'm going to forget all of my technology um, and all of my terminology. But in the post Oklahoma era, and definitely the post West Side Story era, you know that you're going to be having a, a cast recording. You know you're going to be having a you know uh, roadshow with this. You know, or a, a touring company rather. And you know that you're going to have you might have a movie and all that kind of stuff. So I mean that that force, foresight is always there. But I would imagine that it only it would only be the most callow producers and creators who don't start with the primacy of being in the room with it. Don't do the lines too easy. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like you start with, well, here's what this is going to feel like, right? And every, for example, and I did not get this. People who saw it on Broadway did get this. Apparently the sound on Broadway was just bananas, like totally like overwhelming, like the gunshots were so loud. I still love the sound production. But yeah, yeah, they start with the experience of having your butt in, that, in the seat in, in, in that theater. Um, and and being there when that is happening with that group, um, I, I just, I, I can't even imagine. So, so here's another reason that I'm dithering, is that <clears throat> I caught myself, I mean, there's episodes of The Flophouse. There are episodes of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Hell, there's, there's episodes of You Look Nice Today, where I feel like I know the tonality of every single phrase. And I know why that thing is funny in that particular way, this way to where I start aping that. I love, there's some lines that I, my daughter, my daughter does the mirror, does, does the mirror bit. Like for example, like uh, she'll, she'll just do, wait, what? Come on, come on. Like she'll, she'll just do that. The way Stuart says, come on is so funny. Like if I went to a performance and Stu and, and, and they did, the and they did bit. that bit, that would that's be not, weird. That's not how those shows work. It's not. It's not. And they don't remember their own bits. Well, that's where it sounds. Um, but in that instance, yeah, that would be super weird for that reason. It would also be super weird if it wasn't Stu that was doing it. And so, yeah. and why do I say that? I, because just the same way that like, for example, today's episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me that came out today was so like a, like a, like a top 10 episode. I listened to it twice today. It was so Good. You get it really in your bones, what that stuff sounds like. Anyway, why am I saying that here? Because I caught myself doing the thing. I caught myself several times doing the thing. There is the thing, like like I say, where my daughter and I say, whisper that line to each other. Or there's, you know, you do the finger gun in the air and that kind of stuff. And you're like, okay, he's going to do the thing. He's going to do the thing. They're going to do the thing. And you know what? Maybe they're not going to do the thing. Because in a lot of ways, what's a great example of theater? How about Shakespeare? Where the last thing that let's say somebody playing Henry V, the last thing that they're going to want to do is be too closely compared to the performance of Laurence Olivier or to be too closely compared. I'm just thinking of movies here because that's mostly what I know. Or uh, certainly Kenneth Branagh. Like if you do, I love the way he does that St. Crispin's Day speech, but like everybody does that differently. David Tennant does Hamlet very differently from Laurence Olivier because that's why they're an actor. They're not there. This is not medieval times. This is not Disneyland. You're not there to reproduce the experience of media that people are familiar with. You're hopefully there to, to keep it fresh and to do something different with that particular character. And yet I, I caught myself doing the thing where I was like, oh, this is the part where Her Hercules Mulligan does that thing where he jumps up in the air. And the guy didn't jump as high as I'd hoped. And I, and I thought to myself, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying though? Or like when they do like- You know how much you pay for these chickens and tickets when I say jump? <laughs> you ask how high. <laughs> Gonna rendezvous with Rochambeau and consolidate their gifts. Uh, and there were several, so many times, John, where that happened, and I went, "Don't, don't do that." 
oh, don't do that thing. But like a Skylar Sisters, the song Skylar, or a song, I guess it's the Winter's Ball, is that what it's called? It's just called the Skylar Sisters song. Skylar Sisters is that, the title. That song and, um, and then the, the one-two punch of um, Unsatisfied and, um, or of help, Helpless and Unsatisfied. Not unsatisfied, just satisfied. Dissatisfied? I'm thinking of the... Just the word, just the, the word satisfied. The replacements have a song called Unsatisfied. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but like, to me, that's maybe this is because of my unique choices in how I listen to this. But by the time you get to the end of Satisfied, that's a real emotional crescendo. If you were going to break that thing into three acts or maybe four acts, that would be the end of an act in some ways. Mm-hmm. That, that's a very important, in, the, in my special bespoke advice on how to listen to Hamilton, there's a reason I suggest that that is the point where you need to loop back and start again. Because you really, for me, you really want to get all that. But like, I, I find all of those lady songs so transporting and satisfied might, as I sit here today, be my favorite song in Hamilton, that performance of it. But, you know, but I'm sitting there and I'm going like, and this is, I'm just so shameful for me to say, is I'm saying this, she's really good. But like, ah, oh, it's not, <laughs> you know, like they don't, they, they're not all three doing that thing that makes them sound like Destiny's Child. I want them to sound more like Destiny's Child like they do in the, in the Broadway version. And so I tried to let go and let God and I had a drink and, uh, and everything went fine. And then I was, I was sobbing through a lot of the, of the second act. When Philip plays the piano, you know, and then and they're singing the numbers. You know about have you thought about all the numbers, John? Do you think about the numbers? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you done have you done a deep dive on this or have you thought about all of the things in Hamilton? Are you aware of them? I'm aware of some of them just through osmosis from you, but I no, I have not pursued the uh encyclopedic knowledge of all the references in Hamilton. When you're done watching videos about um Chernobyl uh Survivor and all those things, dive do a deep dive on mute. Chernobyl Survivor. I haven't been watching that. Should I be watching that? <laughs> do you want to do you want to know what you're playing for <laughs> oh I, I that i thought you meant like someone who survived from i i did watch back back in the day like you know years and years before the Chernobyl once HBO again show, once again radiation is up for they, grabs they had they would have the people who would like ride their motorcycles into the the place where you're not supposed to go with oh, like yeah, a Geiger yeah. counter and show you all sorts of stuff. I, I remember watching those years and years ago, but now it's back. Deep dive. Um, back. Try, try uh, well, this is not your cup of tea, but it's certainly mine is deep dives into music theory and theater nerd Hamilton um, videos. And there's one guy, there's not, they're not the highest quality um, production, but boy, are they ever fascinating. Cause this is, if you want a red yarn on a wall, tour of hamilton this one will make your eyes peel open it's or and your ears for that matter there are there's so many not to sound fancy but there are so many leitmotifs many of which you pick up on the first listen but other times you're not going to hear like you know every you can figure out probably you figured out by the time of, of the winner's ball that like he, his name is always almost always said alexander hamilton like if you figured that out where you say, Eliza, right? And then, but that becomes really important the way you sing that. Now, in this case, I'm talking to you about the numbers. Get the numbers. From the, like from the Biggie Smalls, the, the Ten Crack Commandments, that he's adapted into the Ten Dual Commandments, but that's also the, 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 the Ten that you're counting with Philip. I know I sound like a conspiracy theorist. I sound like a QAnon supporter. But then <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, fire. The guy fires early, right? And then with the counting when she's singing to him, numbers, John. Yeah, no, I I think I might have seen these in the lyrics genius 
site and I, with uh, annotated with Lin by Lin, where, yeah, where Lin Manuel like comments himself in the threads, uh, supposedly to you know say that you're not just imagining that I was actually referencing that thing you think I'm referencing. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, that you know, it's funny that um that uh, was it. That it must have been the genius site that introduced me to Beyonce's um because I I got the, the, the sort of Destiny's Child at all you know, sort of reference, but like it interests me that song countdown. You ever heard that song? The, um, that one song of hers? Probably. Oh my God. It's so good. She's pregnant in the video. It's really, really good. Um, but yeah, no, it's great to do. So if you folks haven't been there and you're boy, I'm sure you're so excited to still be hearing about Hamilton in 2019. Yeah. So supposedly, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda or his, or someone helped him with this, like has annotated a ton of the stuff. And I think it's a lot of it is just stuff that's in the tome that has just been applied because the tome is heavily annotated, the giant Hamilton book, but it's really, really good. I will find four show notes. I'm going to make myself a note here to find at least one Hamilton nerd video on YouTube. So it was really, really super fun. Good taco. Uh, got a, got a, you know, commemorative cup. Um, was, was your wife into it? Hamilton as well? Yes. Yes. All right, so the whole family. Well, you know, you know, you know me and the and the, the the way I am, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. with where I, the things that I do and don't remember in life, I still have such a very specific recollection. I think I'm close enough to John Syracuse to know I could this could be mm-hmm. being remembered wrong. Good. No, but I remember driving the Tan Fran Mall. We were uh, at Christmas time, probably 2000, 2015, 2016. I don't remember whatever it was, but all I know is it was definitely Christmas time, and we were in the left turn lane. And I still remember looking at the whatever it was insurance agency or whatever across the street at this T where you turn left to go toward the mall. And I still specifically remember um, the the drinking song, the um, story of tonight. And like, and the it was, I've been trying to sell my stupid family on this music for so long. And like so many things, John, it still happens this week. This week, she doesn't want to watch Minority Report. And then, boy, she doesn't want to go to bed because my Minority Report is really good. <laughs> she didn't want to listen to my shot because, oh, that's just a lot of talking. And, and I just remember by the time, it was a perfect amount of drive to go from the opening song um, into Story of Tonight and then just the beginning of nothing rich folks like more. And it was like, I was like, I did it. I got them hooked. They're being quiet. They're not talking. She's not screaming for me to turn it down. I think I finally nailed it. And everybody likes it. It's amazing it. this technique works because normally it, it, this works. type of thing Never would backfire. Works. Would backfire because they'd be like, I, not only do I not want that, now I hate it. Now it's the oh, worst no, thing. Oh, no, we talked about, you and I talked about this with so many things, including churches, where like the only way I've been able to get her to not hate it, you know, is to just kind of play it in another room and she wanders in, stuff like that. But no, she's on her own now. And I also got her a little bit into Sondheim stuff because I made her watch, uh, not I made her watch, she's seen me watch a bunch of Sondheim stuff on YouTube, you know, like teaching, um, Teaching, um, what's her name from Alice? How to sing the Not Getting Married the, the song. Video, I find that video so painful. Sondheim was a, was pretty tough. He was pretty tough. I feel I feel so much for the singer. If any, I feel. Oh, so I know, much for I know, I know. Because at a certain point, you just want to smack the guy. Did you watch the ones um, from 1985 where he's teaching the amateur? Like singing students how to do his like how to sing send in the clowns have you ever watched yep, those that's the that's the one I was thinking of not the one so you saw that one with the lady of. with the, like the short blonde hair and the and the plaid is doing not getting married oh my god no I've I've, I've only seen the send in the clowns send in the clowns is oh I I just ugh. too much no come on he's right in your wheelhouse man <sighs> no no it's too too much he's, like he's it, hearing things nobody else 
Yeah, I see that, but the the poor the, the poor you, woman. You need to pause in exactly the right place to say, "Well, I know." I got like he's he does it in a nice way, but maybe next year. Yeah, God, it's it's. Aren't we a pair? You hear it last on the ground? No, sorry, I'm on the ground. Which one am I? Moana. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Moo. You can learn more about Moo right now by visiting moo.com. That's M-O-O.com. Listen, Moo is an online print and design company specializing in customizable business cards, postcards, stickers, and more for your business. You don't want to get caught out by not having a business card at that important moment. And with Moo, you can be prepared to show your creativity whenever the opportunity arrives. The quality of Moo's business cards is one of a kind with special finishes like gold foil, raised spot gloss, and letterpress. Moo's business cards are so unique, helping your business get a way to stand out from the crowd. But if you're not into designing your own card, Moo recently rolled out new templates for business cards, drawing inspiration from trends they've seen amongst their most creative customers. Even though business cards are Moo's core product, their full suite of products includes postcards, invitations, letterheads, stickers, and flyers, allowing you to seamlessly promote your brand. They even make amazing quality notebooks available in both soft and hard cover. Whatever you need, Moo has you covered with their easy customization options. And if you're not familiar, familiar with Moo, um, you can go and order a free sample pack on their website to try out their different products. Now listen, I've been using Moo uh, forever. Back when I used to have to go places and like say who I was, people be like, who are you? And I'd be like, well, here's a card. I, I had a little, little half-size cards. I had the full-size cards. I had postcards made. I had You Look Nice Today stickers made. I've had stickers of my face made. I've done it all. I've run the gamut. And these, these Moo people know, know what they're doing. You got to go check them out. You go to Moo.com to find out more. And you get 15% off your order when you spend $50 or more by using the code PRINTMOO, that's one word, P-R-I-N-T-M-O-O, at checkout. And once again, that's code PRINTMOO to get 15% off when you spend $50 or more. You got to go over, check it out at Moo.com. Our thanks to Moo for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. We, I think this might have been one of my challenges, but there's such a good documentary about Stephen Sondheim. I think it's called Six by Sondheim, and it's so good. So good. You know, what's good is also there's a couple different versions of uh, Company that are very watchable. There's one with Neil Patrick Harris. It's very nice. It's got Patty LuPone. I think, I think that's the Patty LuPone one. Yeah. You know, but you know, the funny part is now uh, I screwed up our transition. Uh, she's just going out and discovering stuff now like... She was, I think she was listening to the Mean Girls soundtrack before she saw the movie. My daughter has seen the movie and seen it on stage. As well. has, she, has she gotten into the soundtrack? Don't think so. Apex it's hard Predator. For me to tell. You, know, you know it if you heard it. Well, the thing is, you're not going to hear it. Uh, now it's just all, I mean, it's no more wire now because we're an AirPods family now. Thanks oh, to sure. hand me downs and birthday gifts. Uh, so, but it, whatever music she's listening to, I don't hear it because it's on the things. But I, I was thinking of the whole like, don't put music in their face, but just expose them to a thing. As I as I drove the kids today uh, home from uh, where the their some camp thing they were going to, uh, as Come On Eileen came on oh the my God. Uh, the the radio as we call it, mm-hmm. and just silently played in the car. And I'm like, yes, this is the 75th time, children, you've been exposed to Come On Eileen. And I've never said anything about it, but you will know this song for the rest of your life. Congratulations! Oh my God, it's so good. Just don't just don't even say a thing. Just, <sighs> I know. 
I know. I, and and if you are trying to get your family to listen to Steely Dan, don't don't keep rewinding and making listen. No, nope. if it comes on, it comes on. Like yeah, just they're just they're just soaking how, in it. Yeah, he, he you hear how he asks the question. He says, "Is there gas in the car?" And then he answers, "Yes, there's gas in the car." You know what I'm saying? Wreck <laughs> diffs videos to add. All right, next up, douche. What do we got next? Oh, Apple betas. We can skip that. Uh, we'll talk about whatever you want. We could do, we could do one more uh, topic topic, or we could uh, clear out more minis. I suppose we could talk about Chernobyl. It already feels like a million years old. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Chernobyl. It's just a question of, uh, we could probably go to it now. We're, we're... Well, see, but don't, are people, are people kind of mad at us for talking about media too much? No, people love, love it when we talk about television shows. Mm. It's their favorite part of the program. Let me ask you an in-band question. I can't stop thinking about grit. Um, do, do you think we should keep it on the topics list, even though we've kind of you already talked about it? We should absolutely keep it there because okay. you can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. What did I say to Dan Frakes? I had a funny joke yesterday. Yeah, I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. And it keeps making me madder and madder. And, uh, I, I, uh, <sighs> okay, so good. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it on the list. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Yeah, great. Uh, are we going to put people off if we do this? Oh, we'll talk more about Hamilton. Hmm? We don't. We don't even need it to be a spoiler slot because Chernobyl is real life events that everyone should know about. So there's no spoilers here. I disagree. When you you do, you disagree. Hmm. Yeah. What are we spoiling? What you take away from the way the story is told? Hmm. I suppose maybe. I mean, let, I guess let, let, you, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. If you knew before going into it, and I don't think this is a spoiler because we have not sounded the horn yet, but like, um, like if somebody told you what happened and how it was told in the first episode and what amount of time it covered, like, wouldn't that slightly color the way that you were watching that episode? If you, if you knew how long it was and the amount of time that it covered, like, wouldn't it be slightly less yeah, I pre- guess. present? Yeah, I guess. Jim, uh, hey, so listen, friends, hi. Uh, I guess we're going to do this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it frustrates you we talk about media. I, I, I want to say on the one hand, I very much appreciate the notes from people who say, I like it when you talk about life. That's a, such a nice thing to say. You could not ask for a nicer compliment than say to John and me, please talk about life. Well, the TV is kind of part of life. Yeah, it's part of our lives anyway. Part of my life. I don't love it. I don't love the way I am. But, um, but anyway, sorry. Sorry. Well, uh, maybe next time we'll talk about grit. <laughs> how to get it get mm-hmm. get get <laughs> jim please fire off the spoiler horn for the hbo limited series five episode long you could down this thing with a lot of sorrow and vodka in two nights uh it's called chernobyl and uh and it's it's really good and uh, i recommend you uh watch it two nights are one afternoon in the merlin household Oh, wow. We went through the office really fast. You're doing, what, you're doing seven episodes of uh, Game of Thrones a day? What, me? No. Yeah. What? Come on. Um, we did wrap back around and we finally, because uh, I, I, I would not let my daughter watch the first episode of The American Office just because I remember it making me so mad that I never wanted to watch the show again. <laughs> and then we went back and oh my God, the first few episodes of that show are extremely bad, just as I remembered. So Chernobyl. It's a shame they didn't have a like a jingle that incorporated the the name Chernobyl. Chernobyl, you're there's, welcome. It's probably, probably a good uh, Simpsons episode song. They 
<laughs> right. We just we just had the Dr. Zayas uh, episode the other day. Yeah, lots mm, of good songs. Mm, mm, mm. So the the first thing I want to talk about with Chernobyl, I guess, is the, what you were talking about before, like how the story is told. Spoilers for how the story is told. No, uh, we're in, we're in we're in total spoiler. Um, yeah. Yeah. At this time. And, yeah. and I, maybe I brought up this exact same thing in a past show. I can't even remember. Maybe you even told me your opinion of it. You'll let me know if this is a repeat of anything. Uh, so this is a show about stuff that happens in the former Soviet Union. Uh, it is produced by a British television company. And of course, we know the only British television company is the BBC. So it's the only one. It's the only place that makes shows in all of England. BBC, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. They own they own Sky. Uh, they own ITV. They own all of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it's filled with people who've been on Doctor Who. Basically, it's filled with with uh, British actors. A lot, a lot of Game of Thrones. Some yeah. Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all speak English accented English in this program. Yep. ostensibly taking real life events that are take place in the Soviet Union. How did you feel about that? I loved it. Um, I loved it. And Craig talked about this on the podcast about the show. Um, just quickly in passing, he said the specific, something I've heard him say in two different interviews, what they wanted to avoid was Boris and Natasha. You know, the idea of like, he mentions, he actually specifically mentions an HBO series, miniseries that I liked a lot in the nineties. It was campy, but good. Um, Citizen X. Mm-hmm. With uh, Donald Sutherland and Stephen Ray, and but you know Donald Sutherland is, is speaking like this, and he's got this weird Russian accent. But then Max von Sydow doesn't have; he just sounds like Max von Sydow, and that's really weird. I think it was an interesting choice. I do love the internal consistency. There's a little bit of slipping into some kind of an accent from time to time. I mean, if you're Stellan Skarsgård, you're gonna have, have a little bit of Swedish on you. Yeah. But I like the decision to go with like sounding like you're from england i thought i thought it was i thought it was good and it helped to be not they threaded a couple needles on stuff like that like the way they did not putting stuff in english on the walls it still was in mm-hmm. cyrillic like down to like the the the, <laughs> the thing on the cassette tape is in cyrillic but i didn't find that distracting or i don't know i mean I, I don't know enough to know how well they did but as we've stipulated previously it seems from people who lived in the Soviet union that they did a pretty good job with most of that what did you think about the uh, accents or lack thereof so I think they get a little bit of a boost, and I'm not, I haven't listened to the podcast yet, although it is in my podcast list. I think they get a little bit of the boost of the like the years old practice uh, of having non American, non English speakers in American movies have British accents. So the best example is the Germans always have British accents. They don't speak German. They don't have German accents. They have British accents, like a World War II movie, an American World War II movie like, you know, semi-modern day, like within our our lifetimes, right? They'll have the Germans running around, and instead of them speaking with German accents, they'll all have British accents. And it makes no sense. Why would they have British accents? Uh, but lots of movies do that, and it reads as, you can understand what they're saying because they're speaking English, but they're also foreign. So how do you make someone who speaks English sound foreign? Boom, British accent. They're, they are English-speaking, and they are foreign. And, huh. and there's also it also tends to fit with these sort of dignity of the germans right and we and americans think of the the british as being more dignified than we are you know they're not posh you know, yeah right and so that and that goes with their their very you know uh humorless type of attitude anyway uh i feel like they get a little bit of a boost from that because here are some people who we're supposed to understand are foreign but we're also supposed to understand what they're saying so they all speak with british accents if we were you know if we were, grew up in england and we heard this they would just sound like us or maybe they'd be you know like it would be like us hearing someone in a movie with a southern accent or you know a midwest accent or a new york accent we'd recognize them mm-hmm. 
uh, as maybe a different accent, but still like us. And so I think that helps. The, the strange thing for me, and I will I'll love to hear on the podcast when they address this, is like you said, the writing, fine. The writing, they don't change. That makes some sense. But then there is audio in the program at various points that is in Russian. Mm-hmm. The, the cassette tapes, the announcements over the loudspeakers in Russian, but also not subtitled. And I feel like it kind of broke me out of the Hunt for Red October transition where it's like, you, you, <laughs> right. you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, with the mouth, like, when they show the mouth. They, exactly. They're just like, okay, look, like they're speaking Russian, but we're not going to make you read subtitles this whole movie. They're speaking English now. But you understand that, you know, if you were actually there, it's a battlefish situation. If you were actually there, yeah, you'd hear them speaking like you're, Russian. You're, you're near the TARDIS, so right. you're good. Yeah, But I'm um, near the TARDIS, then all of a sudden there's someone making an announcement over a car with a loudspeaker, and I can't understand what the, the announcement is because I don't speak that language. I went around with this in Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs, like, I, they have an announcement at the beginning, but still there's a whole bunch of times where you're like, you don't really have any rules you're even following here. Like, and it kind of hurts the story a little bit how bananas yeah. this is. So I, I like... Uh, I like this. Uh, I liked all the actors that are in and everything like that, but I kind of wished what, what I would like, and I think is not the probably the right choice or the popular choice, is to have Russian actors who are native speakers who speak Russian. Like a like sort of like a das boot, like people all who roles, are yeah. in the in the country that it's yeah. taking Sub- place subtitle on. the whole thing, all native speakers, uh, and somehow magically find like unknown actors that I've never heard of that are, you know, famous in their countries. Maybe get people with the accents of the regions that are involved, like do it up like that. That is very unfriendly because most people don't like like if you're going to have a very popular HBO series and the whole thing is subtitled, that's a big ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I tend to like subtitle stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I watch I'm, I'm sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel of the end of the world stuff on Netflix. Right. So. Mm-hmm. I'll watch a German show about it. I'll watch, I'm currently watching a Danish show about it, and I'll watch it. And even though they have English, uh, you know, dubs, I'll watch this subtitle one. I just want to hear the the foreign language. I want to get the real deal. Um, so I would have liked that better. But I love all these actors that were in this, mm. and so I'm not going to begrudge them. You know, I'm not, I would put it this way: I would rather have this than have them try to make all these British actors do fake Russian accents because that would be the worst. I I totally I totally agree. One interesting thing to think about, though, is um, to me is if you think about the process of production for something like this, including casting, like that is a kind of a decision that you need to that's a decision you, you need to make one way or the other very early on for so many reasons. Well, the decision here in this case I mean, uh, another similar movie I'm looking at here is Death of Stalin, the, the uh, wonderful Armando Iannucci movie. And like, I think they use mostly just people. Like, I, I don't think Steve Buscemi affected a Russian accent, but I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But, any, what, but think about all of the things that are affected by that decision. Will these people, what language will these people be speaking? And if they, whatever language they're speaking, will it be accented differently than uh, thus and such native speaker? <clears throat> that has a huge implication for casting. Has so, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like from the very beginning, you start with like, wow, when we do casting, that's going to be really complicated. You're not going to always get like a dots boot quality cast of people in this in this one country. Anyway, I, I that when I really think about it, it's it's pretty mind blowing that they made that decision. And then you know, once you've made that decision, you you can't turn back on that. You if you get Dr. Selvig in there, like it's going to be, and you, then you decide that everybody should be speaking Russian. That's kind of a that's a that's a lot to ask. Um, the other thing though is. Um, and, and again, this this is related. Is that the production design on this is so good, um, and 
including stuff like wardrobe, including the glasses that, um, what's his name? Lane is wearing. Where I'm so bought into believing that, th- that this is ha- happening at that time with these people, that guy really looks like he lives in the Soviet Union. You know what I mean? There's so much stuff where like, uh, you know, once you've, once you've jumped into the water and acclimated to the accents, I don't, I don't think it was too difficult. Yeah, and I think this is another one of those uh, movies that uh, or series that Todd is going to love to tell us about because the whole time I'm watching this, I'm I'm thinking, God, they must have CG'd the hell out of everything here because there's nothing that that doesn't exist anymore. Like all these buildings and these settings and everything, especially like the historical settings, like that's not you know. And they did such a good job of just sort of seamless. Like no no one who's watching this who's not like into visual effects is watching Chernobyl and going, wow, the special effects were amazing because they just think. It's just a bunch of buildings and people and cars and roads. And it's like those buildings and people and cars and roads don't exist. Yeah. Right. That right. that power plant doesn't like you, they didn't go to Chernobyl to film on location. Like it's not, you know, right. so obviously there's tons of computer stuff in there and you don't even notice you just buy it 100 percent. This is the, the uh, talk to Todd about this. Uh, well, it's like, the basic Todd point is that like people complain that um, well, I think the the cliche is that CGI is ruining Movies is what people say. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, do you really know if CGI is ruining movies? Because there's so much what you're calling CGI. I would say VFX. There's so many visual effects that are being done so very well that you don't know that the movie's not being ruined because you didn't even know that was VFX. See also the David Fincher video. But this is true on, on Game of Thrones, not just for dragons. It's true. There's a, I saw a really good uh, bit with the, the director of the um, a very famous episode from season one with Ned Stark and talked about just the really small budget they had for season one and how they could only have this much actual practical stuff and the rest of it, you know, they had to fill in, but they only had what's his name for like this, this amount of time in this one city and how they had to do all of that. And you might think, Oh, this looks kind of, kind of cheap, but you wouldn't go, you wouldn't say, Oh, that's CGI. Oh, that's like Jar Jar. No, like when you're watching this show, like when watching a David Fincher movie, you're not going to even realize how much of it has been sweetened or made uh, wholesale with VFX. Yeah, and that's like the discussion I had with Todd is like where the bar is right now. The bar for you can put this on screen and no normal person will could could tell you if it was real or not. It, basically, we're at that point for buildings, vehicles, th- backgrounds, things that are in the distance, you know, filling in seams, like essentially what they used to use in like uh, matte paintings for, like where there's some section of the background that's a painting and then there's the rest of the background that's real and they blend it together. Mm-hmm. Matte paintings, you could kind of tell. But at this point, when they're filling in like building facades or like a backdrop that's out of focus or a car that's driving by, they can do it in a way that basically no one can tell. The only way you can tell is if you if you think about the realities of like, well, look, there's that road doesn't exist like that anymore. And I'm sure they didn't build it, so therefore it must be CG. But if, if it was something else, if it was something mundane, just like a modern I car. Stand by and a what road. I said is like pe- people don't notice. <laughs> yeah. Like they only notice the stuff that they notice. And the amount that they notice is a is a probably surpassingly small percentage of the stuff that they have actually seen with their eyes that they never even realized. Yeah. And that's like the, the dragons in Game of Thrones is a good example. I mean, you know that's an effect because there's no such thing as dragons. So you yeah. you've got you've got that already and you're just you're just willing to like you don't even have to think about that. But when it's things like cars and buildings, you're not you're not looking for it to be fake. And the only reason you would notice it if, is if they did a bad job. So that's that's kind of where the bar is. The bar is not yet risen to the level of when they do aging actors, you know, face replacement, resurrecting actors that have died, like, mm-hmm. because we're so good at human faces. 
uh, you know, bottom line is no matter how, even if it's like, oh, I know that actor's dead, so I know that must be CG. Most people can still tell there's something a little bit different about that. In the same way, this is the, I think this analogy is when I was discussing, in the same way we can tell, like, when we were kids and you'd watch movies, uh, very often someone would be in an old age makeup, mm-hmm. which didn't look real, but we would look at it and we would know, okay, well, when in movies, because you're a kid and you just accept things, in movies, when they want someone to look old, they just put like a bunch of latex on their face and it's old person makeup. And we didn't dwell on it. We're not like, like it took me out of the movie that they had old person makeup. We're like, it's understood, like, you can't actually age the actor. So for stage purposes, we want someone to be old. We put a white wig on them and we give them, put wrinkly stuff on their face. And we just went with it. How many movies did that when we were kids? And we're like, okay, fine, mm-hmm. whatever. The same same reason we accepted like plastic models with firecrackers in them going off cliffs and exploding. It's like, you know, the, it's, it's fine. Like we didn't think it looked real, mm-hmm. it, but it didn't take us out of it. We just accepted it. I bet this generation accepts uh, visual effects aging and stuff like that. It's just like, okay, well, I know it's not, you know, it's not... It, I know that they did it in the same way that we knew the latex was there, but who cares? Like, that's mm-hmm. just how you make people look old in movies, right? Like, you accept it if it's a thing that you grew up with. It's only us later saying, oh, that when they tried to age Captain America, I didn't, I didn't really buy it. It's like, did it look better than latex stuck to someone's face? Yes, it did. It looks like a million times better, but still, <laughs> what about, it, we always what about know. A, what about a star wipe on uh, Saving Private Ryan? I like that morph. I will defend that morph forever. I know. I just think Todd's fun. Yeah. Anyway, we should we should probably get to um, more of the um, the stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, boy, talk about it's only five episodes, right? But talk about a a show that grabs you from the start, and not in the usual HBO way of having the lead uh, actor show her boobs, mm-hmm. uh, which is the usual episode one tool that HBO tries to get you into be hooked on the program. Chernobyl does not do that, uh, but I challenge anyone to not be gripped. By the first episode of this show, because mm-hmm. God, like you know, just it grabs you from the beginning, and like I, I would say, it doesn't let go. But I feel like it. I feel like it does let go a little bit. I feel like it. It, it takes its hands off the lapel of your jacket and sort of brushes you off. At what? At what point? Like I feel like the show breathes after maybe you know episode two and a half or whatever, and oh, you right. start to. Well, and so then it, it does take a turn. Two. It does take a turn with the uh, the roof episode is four. It's been like all, probably a month since I watched this, but what's the um what's the one? I mean, like like I, I feel like the urgency of like look, there's a disaster, yeah, and the disaster is unfolding, and the scope of the disaster is becoming apparent, and then there's the like emergency. What are we going to do about the disaster? But at a certain point, people are making plans about what to do about the disaster. Oh, right, and then right, we right. Like, yes, yes, transition, yes. like yes. you get you transition into like aftermath of the disaster and political repercussions of the disaster. Th- that it's not, it's not, we're not in imminent danger of this wiping out basically, you know, half yeah, of two uh, continents. Uh, yeah. Or life on earth. Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, like that, that it has been mitigated and now it's, it's all about the fallout, so to speak. Um, and I, I, I was thinking when I was watching this and I wonder why it was five episodes again, I haven't heard the podcast. Um, this could have been a, a you know, a 13 episode season easily because you could spend so much more time on like at a certain point, the show was satisfied that the, the thing had been contained and that the, the, the repercussions would be felt for eons and decades and so on. But it's like the, mm-hmm. that's been dealt with. Now here's the second thing we want to deal with. I feel like you could have, you could have had 13 episodes of just people like making the sarcophagus and stuff. Like, cause it's, it's still the same kind of drama, but you know, I, I mean, like I, I just finished watching um, band of brothers for the third time. And, um, I think they really got that one just about the right length. 
You know, they used to say when I was in college, they probably still say it now. There's only two doses of drugs, too much and not enough. And like, I I think this is something similar happens with TV. And I'm really glad when people err on the side of, I don't want to say err on the side of not enough, but, but just to join the chorus of people who are saying this on every TV podcast for the last six months, so many shows would be better if the commitment had been for two to three fewer episodes. There's so many Netflix shows where there's some deal, some, I don't want to say it's standard, but there's some kind of deal they're cutting with people where they end up having to make three too many episodes of an otherwise very good season. And I'm glad they kept it lean for this. You're right though. It, it could have been more and that's a compliment. It, the, the, I mean, you, you could have done more. Just that, the one harrowing episode, you know, with, um, now I've forgotten his name, the, the kid who um, joins, goes to the camp and he's got to cover his balls with lead. Mm-hmm. I think that's also the one on the roof, and that's also the one with. I mean, just the no, mind. That, that was the dog episode. You're thinking the dog right? episode. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, you know, I can say it. Yeah, any of those could have gone longer. Um, some notes on on the first episode, though. Um, well, so what I was trying to avoid saying before spoilers was, and again, I might have picked this up from the podcast, but I've seen the first episode three times now. I saw it once on my own, once with my wife, and once with my wife and my sister in law, and when she was staying one night, and um, I mean. I, I'm, I, first of all, I agree with you. Like it's, it is, it grips you, but there's an amazing thing that happens. Oh yeah. So the thing I was trying to avoid saying was that each episode covers a longer period than the one before it, which I mean, I guess that's kind of obvious if you think about it, but it wasn't until the Craig guy said that, that I was like, Oh, I never really thought of that. Like the I first, mean, that, that's how, that's how the show relaxes and expands mm-hmm, because kind of, if you're, if you're in real time is yes. the most tense a show can be at a certain point between cuts, between seas and scenes, time passes. And so that is more relaxing because when you're in real time, we're still here. Like, <laughs> there's thing unfolding now we're in it now. And we're just showing well, it's you. like, we're still here versus like, we don't know if we will be here by the end of this. Yeah. 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 The, um, and so the first episode covers what, six or eight hours. Like it's not a lot of time. Um, but, but one thing that having now having the, um, hindsight of having watched it three times, there's a wonderful sort of magic trick that happens. You know how you like to talk about how, what is it? I think you say this about British comedy and how, you know, we, we don't know sometimes what we're laughing at, where are we laughing at this because it's funny or just because it's weird and we don't know what it means. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the first episode where I, I kept thinking, I wonder if I missed something there. Or like, you know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe I just wasn't watching carefully or maybe I, sh- I, I, I missed some piece of exposition about what's happening here. Um, and of course we then find out in the fifth episode, no, they're going to give you a lot of that story. It's just, it's yep. going to be a pre, not a prequel, but they're going to give you stuff from what happened leading up to that. Um, I think the courtroom scene in the fifth episode went on maybe a million years too long, but I love the part of i loved all of the what happened right before stuff of the story well, that, that's that's one of the things that one of the, the great things that sort of these shows for adults can do is when they show something like the disaster in real time can this show sort of has its cake and eats it too decides not to do the tv thing where people explain in the moment things that no one would have to explain in the moment because everybody involved understands the deal right because we we come in on them and they're in the control room and a bunch of stuff happens and that no one takes time to verbalize a thing that everyone in the room knows just so the audience can follow along. They just, what happens is what happens. Then the show gets an entire episode where it says, I know you, the audience, didn't fully grasp what was going on there. That was intentional. But what it did in the first episode is it made it feel more real because you didn't feel like, Mm-hmm. But you're watching, sorry to pick on CBS, but like you're watching a CBS show for old people where it's a procedural, like, yeah. I will explain the thing that I am doing in my job now so that you, the audience, can follow along. Mm-hmm. 
Other person will say, yes, I see that you're doing the thing, but don't we have to do the other thing? You're right, because if we don't do the other thing, like, <laughs> that doesn't happen because everybody there knows. But then they give it to you. And the thing is, it's not important in that moment. What's important in that moment is for you to be as confused as the viewer, as everyone is there, because, like, what is actually happening? Uh, the sort of dread that something terrible must have happened and the den- denial of it happening. Like, the, the first episode plays out so well. And I can imagine, you know, getting old-style uh, dummy person network notes of, like, first episode's too, so it's too confusing. You have to explain to the audience what's going on. How are they going to care what's going on if they don't understand what even caused the disaster right. or whatever? And they could say, well, listen, episode five will explain all that. Like, the executive, like, all right. But, like, I'm sure they didn't have those notes. I think the show that can they can do this and leave it unexplained, leave the audience uncomfortable, and then also wrap around and make it, it you know, is ideal for a reviewing. Because I imagine if I watched episode one again, having watched the whole thing, it would make a lot more sense. Well, and also, like, what a what a potent cocktail of information being presented, well, of, of inf- information and plot being trickled out. So on the one hand, there's absolutely stuff where, I mean, like, one one question to ask is, without value. But like one question to ask is why aren't people doing more right now? Like why aren't people running around to do more right now? Okay. Now, but now that's sort of in the center of the, like what's happening. What are we watching continuum? Like way far over on one end of the continuum is where you're getting into the Rontgens and all of this stuff. And you're like, should I know what that is? And like, I'm not really sure. And like, then you're really starting to think about the guy with the mustache and like what his damage is that he's not handling it. Whereas at the far other end of that spectrum of the information and clues is the whole like, Hey, I feel like I still have a pretty good idea how this turns out. Everybody needs to be doing more faster. Mm -hmm. Stop lying. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand you have the, the hindsight to be able to go, Oh my God, there's so many ways this thing got screwed up. Don't you guys know what happened in 1987? Like, why aren't you taking care of this? Or 1986, I guess. And then, you know what I mean? But like, but then, but that's the beauty part though, is like, and then, but there's so many things where I'm like, oh, should I know what that means? Maybe I, I, I miss that. But then so many of the pieces do fall in the place, place later on where you're like, oh, now I get it. You always got the feeling the guy with the mustache was probably, you know, well, I mean, they, they they did the modern TV show thing by starting on on Lane. What's his name? Uh, yeah. Starting on him, like, and he curses the name of the person who we'll soon see later. So we know. Yeah, he gives this us. Guy, he does an Avengers on us, like the not an Avengers, but he does one of those wonderful. Like he spills a lot. He gives us basically an outline of what you're going to see in this show, almost like an like a, not an opening statement, but yeah, kind of like an opening statement when he's talking in the recorder before he takes his own life. He leaves out the cat food. It's not cat food because there is no cat food in the Soviet Union. <laughs> you put out the people food. Um, one of the facts that got right, apparently. Um, no, but he lays it all out. It's like, this is going to be about the cost of lying. This is going to be about this guy who he definitely did something wrong, but like it's a lot bigger problem than what this one guy did wrong and this other guy did wrong. And he's telling you the story. He's told you the outline of the story you're about to hear over the next like seven or eight hours. It's all like right in front of you. And that's, you know, then when you cut to the room and. Yeah. And then I feel like I feel like the show over the course of the next four episodes explains partially why no one was. Doing, obviously, they're not doing anything because, you know, we see the bomb under the chair and they don't because we know how this turns out. And they're like, oh, yeah. why isn't anyone doing anything? But on the other hand, uh, like every incentive in this structure is is uh, aligned to make people not make a big deal out of things to uh, to pretend everything is fine, to insist everything is fine, because that's what's rewarded. And so we see that play out over the course of the whole series. And talking with uh, Tiffin and Julia today, that's actually where the phrase uh, tall poppy came up is because uh, referring here to the podcast I recorded earlier today um, is that Julia has family 
from um, the Moscow area of actual Russia. And we were just talking about that. And I had to you know, just quickly mention Chernobyl, but just talking about that whole surveillance state thing. I mentioned that wonderful movie about East Germany, uh, other people's lives, just living in a society, a totalitarian society where like there's very little benefit to being the person who gets noticed, unless you're noticed as the person who's turning in more people than somebody or, or, or else. pointing out when something is going wrong. Maybe that's not a great, you know, not a great career move, not a great personal move. Like, right. You just like all the people, the whole, you know, discussion about how this is just to them, is just a way to get promoted up the ladder of the system. That guy, and, that, and we find out that guy's got his eye on this other job and this guy has to leave that job for him to get that job. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, and this, this guy's already sizing up the desk and like, like seeing what it would be like to, you know, be, yeah, be behind the desk. Yeah, and just need to like run us, you know, fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. pretend everything is okay, announce everything is online, but you still haven't run the final test. So we just need a successful test run. I'm just going <laughs> to make it happen so I can write the, put the X in the paper, right? And, just, and, and as as, as Craig Mason, is that his name? As mm-hmm. he talks about on this podcast with Peter Segel, I'm pretty sure he's the one who said this. Um, you know, what you're looking for here is, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting everybody's name, but the, the mustache guy who's mm-hmm. running the show, um, he, he in some ways is going to take a fall here because he has a very important role in the chain of responsibility. And so he's the first person who says, don't worry, we're good. So if he tells his boss, don't worry, we're good, as we see in that first episode, that means that guy can tell their boss, you know, all the way up to, you know, you get to Mr. Lewin and then further up and then you get to all the way up to eventually to, you know, the premiere because every single person is going to keep pointing back down the line at the person who said we're good. And it'll, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll end eventually as it did with that one guy. But it's worth the risk for him. Yeah, I mean that, that's the structure of those systems. Is the the person at the top doesn't take the blame for it. There's no the buck stops here. Like it's it's more of a rolls downhill culture. Yes, yes. Like corporate America. Um. So uh, there's just uh, there's there's so much to love in that first episode. Um. Like so many of these things, like you kind of when you go back and watch it, you can't believe how much you know was in just that first episode. But you get the family, you get the um the couple. We introduced introduced the woman who, of course, international symbol. Plus Flophouse has taught us the international symbol for I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. vomiting yep. at the beginning. Well, I'm not sure the flop house taught us that, but yes. Well, um, the um, other things that happen in that... I, I think, what, you know what, for us two old people talking about this show, you know what, this reminded me, uh, th- this show reminded me of something that I hadn't thought about since the 80s, uh, which is that radiation is terrifying and films surprisingly well uh, because mm-hmm. it's it's invisible. It's it's perfect for a horror story. It's perfect for a horror story because it's utterly it's utterly debilitating. You can't see it. You don't know how much is there, right? And it and it kills you. You know, it can kill you quickly. It can kill you slowly. It can do everything in between. And like ex- explaining why Masha, explaining why Masha is different, and why being over, you can be in the tower up to this point. Like your helicopter can get this close and no closer because there's these like again, Craig's talked about this. There's these three factors that go into radiation. I think it's the amount of radiation. Um, like uh, what is that amount of radiation? It's pretty obvious. How long you're there, and but distance distance right and thing is masha is quite a deadly cocktail where when they're you know, he's describing this when he's talking to chris finch uh at the desk the general guy it was actually the general was the one who named them in the real life you know what i mean chris finch from the office that guy the general mm-hmm. guy when they're talking about like what is it like more than an order of magnitude in difference between these things that are like practically feet apart mm-hmm. and, and that's why everybody says i think intelligently like the first episode of this 
I keep coming back to Das Boot, which is such a good movie. If you haven't gone back to the movie about U-boats in World War II, memory serves. And um, yeah, but just the idea of a horror, it's a horror story. You can't see the bad guy. And you, it's like one person standing here got this amount of exposure that like could make them a little sick to their stomach. This person got enough to be dead in a year and this person's not going to make it down the steps. And yep. they could talk in a normal tone of voice to each other. There's so little distance between the three of them. That is, that's horrifying. Yeah. The same thing with like the, the radioactive stuff. You like, he puts this big black rock on the ground, picks it up. The black rock doesn't hurt him. It doesn't, you know, melt his hand. It doesn't, you mm-hmm. know, like, it's, it's just not, like, it's not, what's it's this rock, right? Yeah. 10 minutes later, his hand's falling off. It's, and it's, it's almost like, you almost feel like, like, like a dog. Like the whole thing they say about dogs is like, they, you know, if your dog does something that you don't want them to do, you can't yell at them 10 minutes ago. They have no idea what the hell you're yelling at them about. Mm-hmm. And like radiation basically turns us all into dogs. You're like, why is my hand falling off? Are you going to connect that back to the black rock you picked up 15 minutes ago? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if you know, it's, you know, if you, if you had all the information, maybe but otherwise it's, it's just so in it. That's why all these people go and they're like putting out the fire and everything seems fine. Like they're because, like, because whatever. What they, you know? and, and again, just so many wonderful things in this. And I, you know, I'm putting this into show notes right this second. It's called the Chernobyl podcast. It's hosted by Peter Segel. And there's one of these for each episode of the show, and they talk with Craig Mazin. And it's really, really, really good. And I'm sorry I'm quoting it so much, but I'm practically forcing all of my friends to listen to it. And I, I've listened to several, there's some episodes I've listened to um, several times. But um, the, what was my point? What was I talking about? I was talking about. You're putting the podcast in the show notes. Something said on the podcast, probably. The show notes. The, um, see, why do I do this, John? I eat a bunch of ziti and then I come in here and I, I don't know what I was going to say. It had to do with the exposure horror, uh, not knowing what's there, how long. Oh, you know what it reminded me of? This is it. This is, I'm sorry. That was a long walk for a, a dumb point. Um, you know, um, uh, what's the Murph movie? Um, Interspace. Interstellar. <laughs> you, know, you know, Interstellar where they're trying to figure out how long they can go down to the planet. And because mm-hmm. of the dilation and the way, yep, yep. so like, so it, without spoiling it, um, uh, there's a very interesting conceit in this movie that has to do with the the nuttiness of time travel. Is the scientific way I'll explain it. Where like, if you calculate this thing wrong, you know, let's just put it this way: time back on Earth is going to pass a lot more quickly than it's passing for you. And like, if you miscalculate this thing and how long you're on this particular planet a lot more time is going to go by than you thought. That's what it feels like with the radiation. It would be so easy to get that so wrong. And we see this. We see this like, you're thinking, like I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell did mustache guy even make it long enough to be on trial? How is Mm -hmm. that guy not totally dead? Because then there's the other guys, those poor bastards down in the tube turning the the cranks were like, some of those people, I don't even know how they're standing. Like, you know, in the, the, oh, there's that wonderful scene where the nurse says, do we have any iodine? What did she say? Do we have any iodine? And you're like, that's an interesting clue that you're going to need to take this iodine in order to stay alive. And then Emily Watson's giving that out. I don't know. There's just so many, so many great little bits of, of as somebody who likes, um, like stuff that makes me think a lot and that I do need to pay attention to. I thought, I thought it, it hit a lot of stuff real well. And then it came within a few episodes. It came right back, right back into the fields and like just grit went from being horror to like a, a different kind of horror went to be a thriller. Certainly at one point, I'm carrying on. Yeah, I, I, I like the I like the radiation access because uh, I mentioned as, as us as children of the 70s and 80s is that mm-hmm. 
that used to be a popular thing with the Cold War movies is like the 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 horror of the bomb would be the radiation afterwards and uh, varying degrees of success. They would try to scare you with that. Uh, but it is scary. It is a scary thing to think about. And this is, you know, a real thing. Like, I, I think it makes for a good in, in the same way that like uh, Interstellar took a real thing. Time dilation, gravity wells, like real actual stuff, not just made up mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. Star Trek, you know, techno babble, but actual real physics and thought about dramatic consequences of actual real physics, radiation, real physics that has dramatic consequences that you can you can put on screen. And, you know, this was an obviously a real example, but you could fictionalize examples as well. And it's just it's so it, it's so consequential. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like humans, humans make mistakes all the time. Lots of movies have some person making a mistake, like they'll make a mistake in their childhood and it will affect their character for the rest of their lives. Like they, you know, accidentally yeah, like a did something as a kid kind of thing. And, and they feel guilty about it forever or they have this thing or they could have saved their parent and didn't or they could have saved their child and didn't and it has these repercussions, right? And radiation, humans make mistakes with radiation. It doesn't have repercussions for their life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and like their kids feel it. It's like 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 year consequences. Consequences that make no sense to a human conception of time. It's like, well, you've ruined half the planet for, you know, thousands of years. Not like, well your life is bad and maybe you ruined your kids right. lives. like it's like you've 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 literally we i mean that was the whole thing with with you know the cobor and everything like we, we could literally ruin the whole planet basically destroy the whole thing like we have this planet it's here it's been hanging around for a long time we're living on it and we could just destroy we haven't the had that we haven't it's only in the last hundred years or really i guess the last like 80 years that we've had the technology to do something that momentous yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, oh, you ruined it because we're fighting each other. This is like we're just trying to make electric power, and because of our our idiotic bureaucracy mm-hmm. and the sort of stupid incentive structures of, of government, we could ruin half the planet. Like, we weren't even trying to blow anybody up. We were just trying to give ourselves the power our TVs. Yeah, and there was there was not any one thing. There was not any one thing that caused it. And I think it would be it would be very. It seems like it would be very. Um, dismissive to say it was because they were being cheap. Well, being cheap was one aspect of it. Like, but there, the, but there were so many institutional, social, cultural, societal requirements beyond that, like that enabled all of those untruths to be something Mm -hmm. that just stood. And that's, that's when you're getting corrupted, you know, from within. And all I could say was like, I I don't know if this, how accurately this portrayed the character, but I'm trying, I don't know, it might've been episode three, but there's the one episode where they're like, okay, we've, um, we've uh, we're, we're figuring out how to deal with you know the immediate risk of here we've done the evacuation and i forget was it him or emily watson who like really lays it out and like no here's what we're facing this is what we're facing with the water this is this like because maybe right before they bring in the miners because you're like if that thing goes totally supernova that concrete apron is not going to help and that's going to be water that's going to be wildlife that's going to be crops that's going to be everything from here to there is going to be salted. Yeah, the, the planet will help you distribute the, the these radiation throughout the region. Right, right. And then, boy, what a, that, talk about a, a courageous thing to do. Oh, another thing uh, Craig Mason talks about on the podcast that I love is that um, he wanted to be clear to try and portray, certainly there's a lot of less than flattering stuff you're seeing about the Soviet Union and their government, but also he says it is actually factually true that these people are not, were not heartless murderers, that everybody up to... According to him, everybody up to Gorbachev uh, was constantly doing that math of saying, how many lives do we have to risk for how many lives we can plan to save? And that that was a piece of arithmetic that they were doing constantly. When they're trying to figure how many guys to send up to the roof for how long, there's a the practical component of like, well, we don't want a bunch of bodies piling up 
up there because they stayed for two minutes instead of 90 seconds or whatever. But just really that, that weighed heavily on, I guess, especially on the Stellan Skarsgård character was like the, the, the mathematics of who we save by risking this many people. Yeah. And, and like, and to uh, my impression and to be clear to people listening, but also I think the, the program is saying, if you're watching this and thinking, uh, Boy, this is showing me how uh, messed up the Soviet Union was because they had this government that incentivized people to, you know, put a brave face on terrible things. And like in so many aspects of, you know, like, but this is obviously like the worst case scenario, like this, this whole disaster was caused by just uh, the the system that these people are forced to work within. What a terrible system they have. Mm-hmm. If you can't watch Chernobyl and see that exact thing in all of the worst institutions that whatever country you live in not, even, like, there is not no, even the obvious is, one that everybody's thinking we're talking about but everywhere just everything Co- corporate america us. like yes. your 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 city council uh like just any literally anything the pta like every institution that involves humans and power structures has these uh, th- these things that like incentivize what we all know is bad behavior but people work within the system to get ahead in the system as designed or as not as it has uh, you know organically grown and terrible things happen like terrible things that are explicable in the moment because people are doing things that make sense to them given the incentives that you know like we talked about this before about the, what is environmental storytelling and the wire and uh what what is the the phrase in the wire like you're, the institutions you're beholden to or, or i would whatever. like to thank you because i have literally just pulled up that page to do my annual reading of david simon's description of the wire yeah may i read that Sure. I believe this is from the DVD commentary. Uh, Simon has said, this is talking about his TV show, The Wire on HBO. Simon has said that despite its framing as a crime drama, the show is, quote, really about the American city and how, about how we live together. It's about how institutions have an effect on individuals. Whether one is a cop, a longshoreman, a drug dealer, a politician, a judge, or a lawyer, here we go, all are ultimately compromised and must contend with whatever institution to which they are committed, unquote. Yep. And, and the whole exercise, I think we've discussed in past episodes, is to try to make institutions uh, that are resilient to what we all know to be the worst parts of our nature, that have counterbalances yeah. as the whole, you know, system of governments are trying to, like, to varying degrees of success, are attempting to make a system that, that resists that. Because yes. if, you, if you don't consciously resist it and design resistance from the beginning, you're doomed. Like, you gotta, you got to lash yourself to the mast. Or even yeah. if that's your country that you're lashing to the mass, like, you know, those sirens are going to get pretty loud at some point. And like that, that could be you, that could be you one day that's tempted, you know, into that seemingly minor corruption that like ends up yeah. being your undoing. Yeah. So, I mean, all of that is to say, like, this is not a, a, a Soviet Union bashing television program. If you're watching this and thinking, boy, I'm glad I didn't live in the Soviet mm. Union. A, I mean, you probably are glad, but B don't think that all these same things are don't mm-hmm. exist where where you live in various forms in various places to varying degrees of terribleness all of which i think the lesson of the show is it doesn't take much if you know you don't have to live in a totalitarian state to have people who are incentivized to do the wrong thing leading to something terrible again getting back yeah. to one small human mistake making a part of the planet uninhabitable for 10,000 years those are consequences again us as the dog it's just so far out of our imagining of like understanding like how how can it be that this like this basic office politics drama leads to an exclusion zone you know 2600 kilometers in area right and and, but you also get out i just uh (laughs) there's an edmund burke quote the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing 
or or the addendum for Chernobyl or to want a nicer apartment. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like just some, something as simple as that, you know, more, more rations. Or to be in charge of more people or to not have to, mm-hmm. but like the guy, the, the guy who used to be the head of the shoe factory and now he's here. Right. And apparently, apparently that is like very much like how it actually worked. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, I mean, again, that's how it works in corporate America a lot of times too. Like it's not, not as different as you think. How do you feel about the way it um, wrapped up? Because I, I, I had, I had kind of, I don't know, weird feelings about the last episode. Not least because I'm, I'm sure. Not least because I had built this thing up so heavily in my mind and how much I was loving it. Um, how did you feel about the last episode? So I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how the show would have been different if it had more episodes, mm-hmm. and I think it would have helped it in the ending because if you had more episodes, you could like there is a small set of characters that we have any substantial time with, but there are other characters introduced and touched upon that could have been themselves fleshed out as characters. And I feel like the, the show is not going to end with a second disaster. Titanic's not going to sink again. And Titanic (laughs) doesn't sink at the end of this. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. So it's going to, in some ways always kind of end with a whimper because that's how the events played out. Even with the whole like dramatic move to fix the other reactors and stuff like that. In the end, you're not going to end on a big climax like in some respects the climax was like episode one and then there's some revelations so i think the only way you can pull off a satisfying ending is to have followed a bunch of characters and have them all come to fates that make sense in the story and they did that in five episodes but the problem is some of the characters just go by the wayside quickly because honestly we're not going to have that much time to spend with them smooth them out of the way right and then but then they do want to wrap everybody up at the end and it's like well how that guy was on screen for seven minutes like i understand uh, eric dondarian on him yeah so so i i feel like they did the best they could with a five episode ending but it's tough it's tough to to make a satisfying uh, like i think they did the right thing because i think the the sort of one two punch of episodes one and two of just you know just your jaw on the ground of like, even mm-hmm. though this is things a real thing, you already know how it turns out, just the experience of it. But the dramatic courtroom finale, I'm glad they didn't try to make that like the big high point because it can't be in the end. No, it basically it, ends on like a, a set. And I also think it was wise to put, uh, to put, uh, what's the name offing himself in the beginning. Cause if the show mm-hmm. ended on that, we'd be like, Oh God, why did I even watch this? Right. Oh, no, I totally agree. And, and like, um, the construction or the, um, the way they fabricated that board, with the colored tiles on it to explain, you know, yeah, I wonder if that was from the trial too. I think, was... I think it was a visual thing. They kind of, um, came up with Now I, I agree with you. It's, um, it would be very, there's all kinds of things that they, they definitely, um, avoided doing. And I, I also just want to say like, I, I do, I did really enjoy like the, the backstory stuff. It did feel a little bit more like a typical HBO drama by the time we got to the end credits, good end credits, like good, good like where are they now what's you know what's mr butarski senator butarski doing now like that was all that was all good and it was very well done but uh yeah i know i i, I do kind of wish it was it's triumphant don't miss this thing but like yeah it, it's it, it was it is kind of a weird i thought it was a weird last episode but it did what it needed to do and it needed to, it needed to have that like that that tag team here's the three of them in court like it kind of needed to have that and for it to suddenly turn into a you know, like a LA law for radiation. Yeah. But like it it is, it is still infused with the general sadness that like, this is not much of a triumph. It is basically like literally the least we could possibly do (laughs) to not (laughs) make the same disaster happen again. Like, like the idea that the victory is we finally get them to admit that they should probably fix this problem elsewhere. (laughs) Like that's like some victory. 
Uh, yeah. There's also, I mean, so I think Craig Mason has said many times very explicitly that, and he's actually kind of beaten it into the ground. I think it's in maybe the first paragraph of, uh, of monologue or dialogue in the, in the show, which is where he says, this is a show about the costs of lying, something along those lines. And, but I do, I do think it's very cool and interesting that a lot of the best examples of that were apparently hundred percent true or might as well be hundred percent true. Like uh, the thing with telling the Germans that they needed this thing, but, gave, them, gave them the propaganda number. Yeah. Not giving them the real number on how much radiation it would be exposed mm-hmm. to. Apparently that was true. Um, the wonderful scene when the, I guess it's when he breaks the telephone, but w- what was the, the scene where like he come up, they come up with the figure for how far to evacuate and it wasn't going to be enough, yeah. you know, things like that. Where like, that's not helping anybody. That's like, really the, like they don't want to know how far it's safe to evacuate. They just want to tell you how far I mean, is acceptable. If, if somebody's drowning, getting them closer to the land helps a little bit, but you mm-hmm. really need to get them out of the water. And that's, that's what you're dealing with here. I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, I, I thought it was pretty triumphant and it's, it's so beautifully shot and acted. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really, really glad I watched it. It's been really thought provoking. I did put the podcast, uh, in show notes and I'll put some other stuff in too. <sighs> it's depressing though. My poor wife nearly had like a, had, nearly had a fit watching the first episode. I thought I was going to lose her. It's very tense, John. It's very, very tense. It kind of makes you want to walk around with one of those little uh, Geiger counters or a little badge that turns black. Get the nice one. Get the nice one. If it says 260. Yeah, 3600 or whatever. That's just the maximum reading on the device. That's so insane. People repeat it seven times and no one listens to them. Now back back here, you know, we just had the space shuttle thing. That was still kind of on everybody's mind. The space shuttle, I think, had just happened just a few months before that. So people were still thinking about that. Yeah, again, like that's that's why for purposes of dramatic things, especially if you're doing fiction or whatever, things like, uh, you know, relativity and time dilation and radiation are so much more mind bending because like other disasters, if we think about how many people died on the Titanic, right? It Mm -hmm. didn't make a part of the Earth uninhabitable. (laughs) Like It's tragic. It's, you know, that's that's the two ways you can go. You can go small scale. Well, like I care so much about this one person. And their child or whatever, like the arrival type thing, right? Where, where that can be such a powerful story because you're like, you're there, it's a person, it's one-on-one. You have to tell it. There's no, it's difficult to tell. Uh, and boy, I'm an outsider on this. I claim no ownership of this topic. But it's difficult to tell the story of what was happening with AIDS, let's say circa 1985 or six. I mean, it's obviously after that, it got a lot bigger and people could say the word and stuff like that. But it was not dissimilar. I mean, in... I guess I'm trying to remember exactly when they said HIV and AIDS. I should know this, but I will say that like <laughs> 1983, 1984, it was, it was gay cancer and we don't know what caused it. Like, did you yeah. get this from like, uh, amyl nitrate? Yeah, even, when they, even when they tried to do that with movies, they would do, they would get Tom Hanks. They do Philadelphia. They would focus mm-hmm. on the one person to try to get you yes. to relate. And yes. like, and the opposite problem is usually it's in the context of sci-fi. How do I make anyone care about millions of people dying? Right. Like uh, you got to or- focus on the, the blonde lady. The pregnant or, blonde or lady. Plan, yeah, or planets blowing up, right? Or like, but, and, and that's just, you know, science fiction stuff. Like, like it's very difficult to make, and it's a problem with superhero movies. It's very difficult to make people do, care uh, about on the people. Scroll children, the, uh, the scroll children, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, it's, t- the thing is too big. But the thing is, setting aside science fiction, there are real things that aren't science fiction that have that scope. And I think you can get, like, the Chernobyl's an example of how do you get people to care about, uh, something that could destroy half the earth. Like it's hard to get people to care about an amorphous concept like that. And I think Chernobyl, it's not like we care about the Chernobyl disaster because 
we're worried about our two favorite characters that are mm-hmm. the main characters in the show where well, we are worried about them but i love they, they undercut that so well because like in episode two uh what's his name uh from mad men his it just says offhand to uh to the other dude that we'll be dead in five years and the other guy was like wait what right <laughs> Right, it's like, right, right. like don't even worry about us like don't if you're worried about us like and th- i think the reason that chernobyl makes you is successful in making you care about widespread destruction in a way that a superhero movie or a sci-fi movie isn't is because we do know that it's real like it's mm-hmm. it is real events and this is not a made-up thing it's not space rays it's not galactus eating your planet well, it yeah, is yeah. a real thing that can happen and we knew we knew something bad happened we've done that for whatever it's been 30 years we knew something bad happened but i um I'm not going to say his name again, but another thing that we now know is how many people were patriotic Soviets who it appears didn't hesitate to throw their bodies at the problem yeah, or, or, or had no choice and had their bodies thrown on the pile, which is, you know, well, I think it's, it's a combination. I, th- I think it's definitely a combination. Like I mean, that's, being, that's, the, that's the whole thing with the system that like, yes, they were heroes, but yes, also many of them didn't have a choice to be heroes. Uh-huh. It's like the World War II scenario all over again, where it's like, Absolutely. It's, it's great that the you Russians can be, you can be a hero beat, and get a college education yeah. or you could be up against a wall. Yeah, it's great that the Russians beat back the Germans. Not so great that millions of Russians were fed into a chip or shredder uh whether they wanted to or not 